Well, hello and welcome to episode 316 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. My name's Neville Bounds and on today's show uh, we hear worrying news involving my favourite airline. Han Solo is in trouble with the FAA for a runway incursion in the Falcon and after nine years of delays, Berlin celebrates the opening of their new airport. Finally, in the military, we've got an accidental missile file, uh, file whilst on the ground, and the new Air Force One is already over budget, despite not going into service until 2024. There's another stroll down memory lane, thanks to my little highlights package that I've put together, and we hear from Nick Codling, uh, Claire Aitkin, and Mazuz Karim with some feedback. So, uh, looking forward for a great show. Joining me this week. In the PTUK studio, it's Young Matt. Hello. Oh, I, do you know, I like it when you do the introductions, because I'm always referred to as Young Matt. I haven't been called that for a long time. <laughs> now, anyway, it's Hold it, hold it, hold it. F-18, hold it. Actually, that was sent to me in your honour, by the way, by Jonathan Warner. So there you are. So it's praise Ooh, right. indeed. Praise indeed. Nice. Yes. Uh, anyway, how are you, Nev? I'm well, thanks. Yeah, good to be back on the show. I understand uh, the show last week was a little bit uh, difficult at times. I, I, it's entirely uh, your fault. It's every time you're not here, it all goes terribly <laughs> wrong. So I, I, you, you have the entire blame on your shoulders, I'm afraid. <laughs> but we have uh, we have um, utilised the services of eBay and yeah. Amazon to uh, yeah. assist us with a couple of upgrades, which yes. hopefully we might see. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting them all plumbed in. That'll hopefully eliminate the faults once and for all. That's that's yes, the dream, anyway. These yeah. things can happen, though, can't they? They can, uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Like Agreed. So, Agreed. Uh, so how have you been this week, Matt? You've yeah, good, busy? thank you. St- still on furlough, so not a lot going on here. I've done yet more baking. I've been quite good, though, I have to say. I'm making a point of going out and having a 5K walk every single day at the moment, apart from one day a week, just so that me, me ankles Ooh. and everything all recover. So, yeah, so taking myself for a cheeky little 5 k walk which i'm quite proud of myself for doing that's, uh, that's, that's going good. well yeah i did a 5k drive uh, just exercising right. my my clutch <laughs> and accelerator feet uh, right. probably doesn't count for much yeah. but yeah. on uh, the way to sainsbury for some wine no doubt I, I, yes, funnily enough yes that's about right yeah <laughs> oh, uh, also joining us from his studio we've borrowed him once again at a considerably uh, costly rate no, we can't afford uh, from this. the apg yeah. show it is uh, captain nick uh, well, hi, guys. Yes, I must uh, admit that since uh, COVID-19 uh, has arrived, uh, our prices have um, escalated. Uh, well, so, uh, yes, I'm afraid it's going to be, um, you know, uh, ah. probably 10 or 15 times what you paid last time. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> so just let me know uh, that your check's in the post. Otherwise, I'm just going to leave right now. Uh, mm. ne- Nev, uh, sorry, Nev, uh, you tell him. The check is always in the post, isn't it? Well, it is. So how's everything with you? Uh, well, uh, thank you very much. Uh, everything's pretty good. Um, I wish I had a little more to do sometimes. Uh, you know, get the odd day when you think, oh, I could go out and do something, and then you think, well, I can't now. So I've taken just to posting random pictures all over the uh, social media. Um, of course, uh, Plain Tales and uh, my usual show with uh, Jeff is uh, ticking along very nicely. I'm trying to get an interview done with a fascinating uh, pilot, which... I hope I'll be able to pass on to you, but at the moment, uh, having a few technical issues, oh. so that hasn't been uh, completed yet. Oh. Uh, oh. But everything's uh, everything's tick VG. Thank you very much. I know you've been very busy posting your pictures on Facebook. Uh, That's exactly right. I thought I'd, nice uh, to see. 
that I trawl through some of the old stuff that I haven't previously put up. Uh, and uh, I, I think a lot of people were challenged to put up uh, 10 pictures or something. And obviously nobody likes me. And I, I hadn't been challenged. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm bored watching everyone else post all these pictures. I'm just going to stick pictures up. I've got to 30 now, so uh, I think uh, I'm going a bit overboard. It's also a nice trip down memory lane, isn't it, as well? Well, it is uh, sometimes, yeah, absolutely. Stuff you, yeah, post yeah. Very, very nice indeed. So, uh, yeah, great stuff. Uh, now, Armando is not in his studio this week, but we do have him on video, Matt. Isn't that right? We do indeed, yes. And, and uh, let's, hear, let's hear the excuses from him directly, shall we? Hey guys, I'm sorry I couldn't be on the show this week, but uh, I think you have a very suitable replacement in Captain Nick. Uh, this week has been another challenging week in the aviation industry, as you guys are going to talk about. And uh, for me, I'm just going to be flying the skies, mostly with empty airplanes. But uh, I have a great story a little bit later in the military segment about Captain Tom Moore being made an honorary colonel and his outstanding achievements as of this recording raising over 32 million pounds for the NHS. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy it, and I'll see you guys next week. And uh, I, I uh, accidentally didn't send the uh, the feedback to you, Nick, but you saying uh, that we had a very suitable replacement uh, in you uh, uh, while you're not while he's not here this week. So there we are. So praise indeed. Well, that, that's very kind of you. I can I can glibly um, <laughs> tell rubbish about military because not many other people know. Well, quite except Jonathan, of course. I yes. have to be careful <laughs> yeah, about that. Right. He'll be well, fact checking yeah, you as you go. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, so. Um, now, are we going to talk about the um, Patreons, first of all, Matt? Yeah, should we do that? Should we get that, uh, get that done away? So lots of people have been very kind in sending us some stuff, and uh, Nev has all the details. I do, and uh, thank you very much indeed to one and all for all of your fantastic donations once again. It really makes a difference. And this last month, we have had donations on the Patreon from Adam Spink, Alan White, Andrew Van der Sarg, Andrew Wilson, Captain Jeff, Chris Griggs, Eric Graves, Evan Shue, Graham Haley, Gustav, Jeff Ward, Jonathan Warner, Jordan Rose, Liz Piper, Magnus Rudbeck, Masha Gertz, Matt Caton, Megan Carrion, uh, Myla, Owen, uh, Neil Lamborn, Nicholas Hewitt, Philip Labe, Ray Williams, Reuben Wells, Stuart Backer, Stephanie Plummer, Stephen Howland, and Tanya Wyman. And those who, people who've donated via PayPal are Richard Adams, Tony Stubbings, Jenny Parkinson, Masuz Karim, and Alan Loveday. Thank you very much to one and all of you. It makes a massive difference to us and it Im improves our output both in terms of content and the technical stuff. Well, well, and of course, I mean, in in these times, I mean, anybody who's so generously putting their hand in their pocket to to help us um, sort of with the running costs, because, you know, we'll, we'll find a way of keeping it going uh, either way, you know, even if that means us having to do it. But the fact that you guys are still willing to help help us do that, it means so much to us. It really does. I, you know, I, I can't put into words how grateful we are, um, given what's going on outside. Um, your generosity is huge. Thank you so very much. It's uh, it, We're really lucky, aren't we, Nev? 
Yeah, superb, absolutely. Now, <clears throat> many people may have gone to the Shuttleworth collection in the past, the air show, uh, and I've certainly been to it many, many years ago, and normally we would be expecting to go to it this time of year. But uh, due to you-know-what, we can't go out at the moment. So, But actually, uh, the Shuttleworth connect collection themselves have put together a very interesting virtual air show uh, that premieres on Sunday. And uh, we've been very lucky enough to uh, uh, get a hold of the video for that so we thought we would play it out for you now yeah absolutely let's this is a real treat guys and if you if you can uh, manage to do it and um, this is going to be worth worth watching it's premiering on sunday isn't it yep the 3rd of may 2020 will see the debut virtual air show from the shuttleworth collection with the ongoing measures in relation to the covid19 pandemic the collection has had to understandably cancel the four opening shows of this season thankfully through the magic of technology and plenty of archive footage the collection are still able to bring you a fantastic array of aerial displays with the usual variety you would expect from an afternoon at Old Warden. As always, the collection runs on the generous donations of its supporters to keep these wonderful machines and vehicles in running condition. This virtual air show will be on a donation basis to help keep the collection going and share some wonderful memories with you. The cancellation of the first four shows of this year has removed a significant income source and any support can help the collection through this challenging time. Unlike most air shows in the UK, you can count on the weather, the aeroplanes are all serviceable and there's no queue for the refreshments. The show will cover the early history of flight from the Edwardian aircraft such as the Bristol Box Kite and Blackburn Monoplane up to the World War I icons such as the SE-5A and Sopwith Camel. Civilian and military types from between the wars will chart the further development of flight, from the elegant de Havilland moths through to the silver-winged RAF types such as the Gloucester Gladiator. Of course it wouldn't be a Shuttleworth show without some air racing action and this programme features the collections Mew Gull, Hawkspeed 6 and DH-88 Comet alongside the eccentric Compass Swift. There are a number of visiting types in the display, with warbirds such as the P-47 Thunderbolt, Corsair, Wildcat and Sea Fury, showcasing the development of the radial engine during World War II. And no show would be complete without a Spitfire display, and this programme features no less than six examples, including the collection's wonderful Mark V, and the rare pairs display from two Mark 11s. The Battle of Britain Memorial flight will also be appearing with their Lancaster and Spitfire displaying together. It's not all historic machines and warbirds though. You'll also be able to enjoy modern day aerobatics and elegant glider displays covering all aspects of flight. As if all of that wasn't enough, there'll also be a show-stopping display from the incredible Royal Air Force aerobatic team, the Red Arrows. So with no traffic to worry about and no concerns around the weather, why not make a donation, buy your ticket, set out your spot and prepare to enjoy the debut show of the season in a way that you never have before. We hope you enjoy the first Shuttleworth Collection virtual air show. Every penny of support will help reduce the impact of these cancellations and the collection looks forward to welcoming you again in person as soon as that is possible. 
stay well. I mean, it's just mm. wonderful, isn't it? I, I, yep. Such a brilliant, brilliant idea. I, I mean, I hope, I hope all of us will be able to sort of. I will certainly uh, be putting my hand in my pocket for this one. Uh, it, it's such a great thing. Uh, my personal thanks uh, must go to uh, Peter Bourne, I think, who put it all together for that that uh, that little trailer and trailer and gave us the permission to do it. Uh, please, please, guys, take yourself to um, Shuttleworth.org uh, is the website that you need to go to, and in there you'll find the details you need. Uh, the link uh, they're using the Vimeo platform to, to to stream the show from, and in fact, actually one of the one of the volunteers is actually in the chat room uh, I notice at the moment as well so Charlie uh, Charlie Alpha is, is the display name there thank you Charlie um, and uh, what a great idea isn't it this, you know the there's all this awfulness going on about the thing. Obviously, air shows are being cancelled left, right, and fant- left, right, and centre. And of course, Charlie's saying that uh, the air shows are being cancelled there until June, but hopefully they'll restart as soon as they can. But I mean, what a brilliant idea this is to sort of sort of keep keep things going. Mm, I remember uh, queuing on the A1 many times, uh, going up there to Old Warden, which is just outside uh, Biggleswade in uh, Bedfordshire, uh, not that far from where Mrs. Nev's uh, parents live, actually. Oh, okay. So uh, we've been there before uh, a few times. Uh, it's a great day out, and they've always put on a fantastic show there. Um, so to be able to see it like this yeah. is brilliant, and hopefully next year we'll be able to be there in person Very and do some so, more yeah. filming and interviews. Oh, so. I can't wait, can't wait. So as I say, shuttleworth.org is where you need to go. Uh, to, to gain access to the link to this thing uh, they've, they've done sort of like pricing structures so you can, you can watch the show for as little as £2.50 which I think is brilliant mm. and obviously like any uh, organisation out there because they're, they're, they're suffering massively this time of year is, it's big news for them isn't it it's where they make yeah. some money to, to keep things going for another year etc but for as little as £2.50 you can actually gain access to this air show uh, on Sunday the 3rd of May so that's a couple of days time uh, as I say £2.50, £5.00, £7.00 50 or a tenner uh, and it'll be available from 8am uh, on Sunday morning but what a brilliant idea yeah have you have been up to the Shuttleworth collection Nick uh, yes I have uh, I had a look around many years ago now and uh, I, I agree it is fabulous it, it's definitely worth a revisit for me and in fact on uh, the list of things to do in my retirement do you, know, um, do you know what we keep saying about uh, doing like a, a big listener meetup as soon as this is all over? Maybe the Shuttleworth Collection is where we. Well, go. there you go. There it you it, it, it is a fabulous place, and uh, they've got some great stuff there. Uh, but um, just uh, correct me if I'm wrong. They're, they're they're flying the aircraft and filming them live, uh, so it's an actual air show, but. Or is it library footage? No, it's, I think I think to be fair, it's what they've done is they've collated um, like from library footage a um, you know a, a virtual air show for one. Ah, okay. Word. So, so um, it's it's not as if they're actually flying the aircraft, no, but just broadcasting no, it live. No. Well, I think to be fair to okay. them, I don't think that would be you know the, the risk of people um, sort of wanting to go and see them in the air when really they shouldn't. You know, perhaps in these current times. Oh yes, that, um, that, that I think that's probably the safe. That was going to be one of my questions. Yeah, that's probably absolutely. definitely the safest way to do it. But and of course, th- that way you don't have any weather problems. Yeah, actually, also worth mentioning while we're talking about air shows. Of course, uh, it is. It has been announced today. Of course, the Oshkosh has been cancelled for this this year, hasn't it? Well, that was kind of going to be inevitable, wasn't oh, it? Oh, I know, Matt? I know. Because uh, we'd love to have seen it, of course. And uh, uh, the United States are taking, uh, certainly in some areas, a slightly more relaxed attitude than uh, many European countries. Mm. Um, and there were people hoping that it was going to happen, but. Yeah. When you get that vast number of people from all over the United States 
uh, I think if the virus had got amongst them and they'd taken it away with them, yeah. uh, I think the result might have risky, been pretty disastrous. Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, I don't think your uh, doctor would have been too impressed, Nick, were you doing Oshkosh <laughs> two years on the bounce? No. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> after what happened last year. <laughs> exactly right. No, no, no. I, I was a shame that uh, today, this year was going to be uh, our uh, UK or European a meetup, and it's mm. uh, it's such a shame that uh, the, the kibosh yeah. has been put on that. Really, um, I, we're I sh- I should, thinking about what to do next year. Yeah, I should just say that Charlie's just confirmed that actually that no, the the uh, airfield the uh, air show is being collated from archive footage. Uh, just uh, you know, that's that's from from the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. Okay, so. great. Uh, a horse I called Charlie should... Alpha. That's that's quite a novel name for a horse. <laughs> I, I suspect it's a pseudonym, Nick. Uh... No. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yes, yeah, sorry, we we won't go on about it, but well, a great idea, guys. If you if you can spare a bit of pocket change, then I'm I'm sure they'd be really grateful. It'll be a great event, I have no doubt. Um, you know, uh, and uh, maybe we can all sit down and w- watch it together when it, when it's sort of released on on Sunday. Yeah, now that would be an interesting thing to try and organise, wouldn't it? To get us all on simultaneously on find a chat room, yeah. somehow, so we could all talk about. What we like and what we don't like. Well, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be able to do it for Sunday, but I'll tell you what, I'm sure we can come up with something between between me and them. I'm sure we could work out something for next time. But uh, that would be a great idea, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, right, we spoke, I suppose we better crack on, Nev. Yes, so let's start with the commercial section of the show. So if we're all ready? Yes. Let's go. Well, this is on the BBC website, and this does not make for good reading, especially for me, uh, where it says that BA may not reopen at Gatwick once pandemic passes. Uh, British Airways has told staff that its Gatwick airport operation may not reopen uh, after the coronavirus pandemic finishes. Uh, The admission came in a memo written by the head of BA's Gatwick hub and seen by BBC News. BA's Gatwick operation, which is currently suspended, is roughly a fifth as big as its Heathrow hub. In a separate letter to pilots, BA said it cannot rule out suspending the rest of its Heathrow operation. In the memo to Gatwick staff, the company says, as you know, we suspended our Gatwick flying schedule at the start of April, and there is no certainty as to when or if these services, services can or will return. In a letter to pilots, BA notes that some of its rivals abroad are facing tough competition. It adds that a quarter of BA's 4,300 pilots are set to lose their jobs. We need to ensure that our remaining operation is efficient, flexible and cost competitive to enable us to survive an increasingly lean and unpredictable industry, says the letter from senior management. So the question is how the airlines are going to get flying again. Well, on Tuesday, BA said it was set to cut up to 12,000 jobs from its 42,000 strong workforce because of a collapse in business due to the COVID-19 lockdown. The airline's parent company, IAG said it needed to impose a restructuring and redundancy program until demand for air travels returns to 2019 levels. Pilots Union Balpa said it was devastated and vowed to fight every single job cut. Well, BA has been flying from Gatwick for decades and before its merger with BOAC in 1974 to form BA, BEA flew its first routes from the hub in 1950. Plane makers and airlines alike have been struggling to cope with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic 
on their businesses. On Monday, aerospace giant Airbus announced it was furloughing 3,200 staff at its North Wales site. Hours earlier, uh, Airbus chief executive uh, Guillaume uh, Forey had warned the company was bleeding cash at an unprecedented speed. Mr Forey also told Airbus's 135,000 staff to brace for potentially deep job cuts and warned that its survival was at stake without immediate action. Meanwhile, US aircraft manufacturer Boeing announced that it would cut 10% of its workforce after it said that the lockdown had delivered a body blow to the business. Other airlines, including BA's close rival Virgin Atlantic, have been seeking UK government help. The aviation industry as a whole has been lobbying the government for assistance. And on Monday, industry body uh, Airlines UK urged Chancellor Rishi Sunak to extend his job retention scheme beyond June. It said that airlines hit by coronavirus would face a renewed cash crisis if the scheme were withdrawn prematurely. Well, that's that's quite a statement, isn't it? The, the thought of BA withdrawing from the Gatwick operation. Um, I a mean, couple of points immediately there. Yeah. I'm flying from Gatwick on the 26th of uh, <laughs> September oh, to really? Malta uh, for oh, the, for air, the show. air show. Yeah. Well, Hopefully. I hope I am. Yeah. Um, but of course, as well as the you know Gatwick has always been known as a bit of a holiday airport, but there's also an awful lot of schedule services operate from there. Uh, to regions around the UK and, and to Europe, but it would be absolutely horrific to, to, to lose that amount of capacity, wouldn't it? I find it hard to understand how they're going to be able to keep to that because uh, if in two years' time uh, the rebound is complete and, uh, um, you know, uh, air travel is now um, you know, as good or perhaps even better than it used to be as everyone goes right, I've been stuck at home now, time for a holiday. I find it hard to understand how they're going to not be in Gatwick doing that. I mean, Heathrow is a, is a maximum capacity. Uh, where are they going to fly uh, all their holidaymakers uh, from? I don't understand this. No, exactly. And, uh, of course, they're, someone in various other forums that I've been visiting this week have said, oh, well, so they don't need the uh, the third runway at Heathrow anymore, do they? Well, actually, the answer is yes, they do, because it will get back to uh, the levels of traffic that we saw last year, or at the beginning of this year, at least, as well. And there's a very large, you know, 777 operation of BA out of um, Gatwick to the Caribbean and the long di- longer distance uh, destinations as well. So I agree with you, Nick. I, I think it will be very surprising to see them can it completely. But maybe they're planning for the worst and expecting uh, the best. I, 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 I should just say, actually, uh, Auntie Liz has just posted in the chat room here. She's saying, important clarification, REBA. As far as Balpa is aware, there is no truth in the rumour that BA, British Airways will, be put, pull, will pull out of Gatwick. And there has been no indication that from BA, of that from BA to us. Um, at, at this stage so uh, as you say perhaps they're just sort of looking uh, to be fair they're probably just looking at all eventualities aren't they because i mean we're, we're in such ridiculous unprecedented times as far as the aviation consider- industry is concerned. well we are but th- that was a supposedly a quote from the head of ba at catwick so right. uh, has someone been misquoted here or has he been given duff jen possibly yeah. Well, it seems a bit, I, I'm a bit confused by that. Uh, mm. Having said that, um, Balper, of course, are um, very worried about the uh, cock, the cuts that uh, BA are 
producing. I mean, Balpas obviously represents the airline pilots, yeah. uh, but their cabin crew uh, equally. I think a lot of them are represented by Unite. Um, the, there's a, a, a room only, certainly there's an analysis out there uh, that indicates that uh, they may well be trying to fire people just to save money in the short term so that they can bounce back with uh, aggression once uh, air travel starts again and um, hopefully uh, then become uh, an extremely dominant airline. And people are saying you're sacrificing jobs now just to save cash so that you can bounce back, and that seems uh, very immoral. I don't know whether that's true or whether that's just uh, individuals who are taking a different slant perhaps than that it's not a matter of survival, but it's a matter of uh, tactics uh, for, you know, next year, perhaps. I don't know whether this happened in your airline, Nick, um, or, or whether it happens in BA, but there are other airlines where they take people off of the regular full-time payroll and actually bring them back as contract pilots so that they can, uh, it's sort of a, a pay-as-you-go thing, as it were, but, of course, those contract pilots don't get all of the T's and C's of, of being on, on the regular payroll. Do you, do you think that might be something which we, we might see more of? I hope not, because I think that's an awful way to have to go to work. Uh, one of the things you really need, and we've seen it from our friends working for other airlines who have been taken on uh, uh, contractually, uh, and they're the, usually the first to go if an airline has a problem. So you have no job security. You have, uh, say, no health and uh, no pension. You might get a, a slightly better wage perhaps than a regular employee, but you've got to find everything yourself. Uh, and, uh, of course, Ryanair have been doing this for years. They have don't have very many uh, employed pilots. I think it's changing now, but certainly uh, a few years ago until various court cases um, hit the uh, world, then uh, they were doing the majority of their pilots this way. And it gives them the freedom to um, dismiss people almost at will because they just say, all right, well, we don't, just don't need you anymore. They're not obliged to obey the same rules as you do if you are a proper employee of a company or employed by a third party. Very interesting. A couple uh, of uh, comments in the chat room, actually, if I, yeah. I may, that uh, that have come in. So Lane has actually, uh, Lane Street has said, I'm not putting any weight on long-term predictions, no past experience to base them on, of course, but at some point things will return to near pre-COVID states, uh, one would think, which I think a lot of people feel that that, that is inevitably what ha what will happen. I mean, as I say, the, the demise, if you like, has been a lot sort of perhaps more severe than people were expecting. Uh, and then uh, Mike is saying that uh, I truly believe that air travel will never rebound to current levels. People are going to be afraid of social contact based on diseases for many years. Businesses uh, will not need as uh, much uh, to travel, uh, will need to travel as much. Businesses will find most of their travel will be able to be done over the net. I mean, obviously, Nev, you've got some experience of this. I mean, I mean, how, how do you feel that, obviously, have, having had this all forced on us, uh, I mean, do you mm. think it will change how we do business? There might be some that, that do change, but uh, I mean, I'm lucky that I work for a company where the CEO is very keen on face-to-face -face and yeah. pressing the flesh, uh, as it were. And there's no doubt about it. If you're having a, me a meeting which is really meaningful and you, you want to get under the skin of that person, a face-to-face -face meeting in their office or taking them out to dinner, whatever it is, um, takes a bit of beating. 
obviously we can't do that at the moment so we're having to improvise with video and audio conferencing technology i think it will come what, do you send them a luncheon voucher that, that's a possibility yeah back in the day <laughs> yes, I used to get, yeah. I used to get a voucher for my uh, first job actually uh, back in <laughs> 78 wouldn't be worth a lot now though, i don't think um but the uh, the main thing i was about to say is that i, I think that it will come back but it won't come back quickly. We're, we're not going to suddenly get to the end of 2020. And it's all right, lads, you know, as you were. I think there's, uh, there's a lot more to this. Uh, obviously, it's about finding a vaccine, clearly. Um, but um, I think there may be some adjustment to those short haul ops, as, as I was saying, I think the week before last, that those Heathrow to Manchester flights, for example. I think we might see fewer of those, for example, in, in favour of people doing a, you know, a one-hour video conference in, instead. Well, I'm going to point everyone to uh, what happened after SARS. Uh, SARS, we were very lucky. Uh, we didn't really need to start protecting ourselves against that. The, the virus mutated to a, a point where it was no longer a threat. Uh, but uh, at the end of SARS, for example, some of the countries that were most hit, mainly Hong Kong, um, their air travel rebounded very quickly and just then just carried on growing just like everybody else's. So I'm not sure that Mike is right. I think that uh, the industry and people will be back to normal, uh, you know, pre uh COVID. Um, it may not happen quickly, but I certainly think it will get there. I don't think this is going to be uh, a permanent problem no. for the airline industry. No, no, and that's, that's a good uh, place to sort of leave it and move on, really. The next story is on Simple Flying, and the headline is Ryanair operates a rare seven hour Boeing 737 flight to Lib Liberia. Sorry, I need to say Libya there, completely different country. Let's not get that right. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> That including the, the queue to get on the plane? Possibly, yes, absolutely. So many people are desperate to fly. That's what it is. Anyway, Ryanair is today operating a seven-hour flight. Uh, I say today, so that was actually on the 28th, which was uh, a couple of days ago now. Uh, so they were operating a seven-hour flight to Libya, uh, Liberia. I've done it again. Uh, <laughs> the Boeing 737 departed from Dublin at 07.36 and, is, and was scheduled to arrive in the Liberian capital at 1.30. Uh, at the time of writing, it was flying over West Africa but anyway there we go so uh, airlines around the globe have been operating some fairly impressive flights as a result <clears throat> of the current aviation crisis except for a medical trip a couple of weeks ago Ryanair hadn't run many special flights uh, since the crisis began over a month ago however uh, this has now changed and the Irish low-cost carrier f today flew a Boeing 737-800 I should say uh, to uh, Liberia's capital in is it Monrovia Monrovia uh, Monrovia. Monrovia. Yes. Monrovia, I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Ryanair's fleet of Boeing 737-800 aircraft typically operate short hops around Europe with some longer flights taking up five hours. However, uh, seven hours is quite a trek for one of the airline's Boeing 737s. Just looking at the destination of Monrovia, this flight instantly stands out as something unusual. While the airline uh, does fly to Morocco, Simple Flying believes that this is the airline's first flight to West Africa. Flight uh, Romeo Yankee Romeo 68 is today operating from Dublin to a destination 5,260 kilometres away in West Africa, uh, Monrovia, the capital city of Liberia. At 7.36 local time or 6.36 UTC, one of Ryanair's many 77-800 aircraft departed from Dublin and began to fly south. Um, 
The uh, aircraft passed all of the usual Ryanair destinations and continued flying south. Flight Radar 24 last tracked it over the north of uh, Montenegro. Uh, oh, oh dear, something I can't say, sorry. At around about 10.38 UTC. Uh, according to the popular flight tracking service, the aircraft is due to touch down in Monrovia around about 1.30 UTC, approximately seven hours after it departed Dublin. This is undoubtedly one of Ryanair's longest ever flights. The aircraft uh, operating today's trip is registered in Ireland as Echo India Golf Delta Kilo. Uh, according to data from plane spotters, the plane is relatively young in the Ryanair fleet. It is. It was delivered to the carrier in November 2017, making it two and a half years old. However, it took its first flight around half a month earlier, back in October 2017. Um, so, I mean, this is, a, I, I think from what I understand, this was um, either a medical aid or, or a repatriation flight, wasn't it? It wasn't a sort of a planned regular service that they were yeah. testing the waters on. Indeed, at least the plane's nicely run in now. That's the main. Well, thing, absolutely, yes. I mean, they've they've been sort of flying them and doing circuits, haven't they? I think because we were talking about flight to, um, uh, yes, yeah, a repat flight. Sorry, yes, um, that uh, John has just told me. But uh, there was, uh, it's uh, as you say, several of the ghost flights we were talking about were to do with Ryanair, just sort of trying to keep the the you know in the air, aren't they? Because they don't like sitting on the ground, do they? These things. No, and of course all the aircraft that are sitting on the ground are having uh, lots of TLC by the ground engineering staff because you can't just switch an aircraft off and, and put the engine covers on and you know come back to it when you're ready to take them off, take them off again. So um, yeah, there's a lot of ongoing maintenance and maybe actually they've taken the opportunity of taking some maintenance programs early on some of the aircraft as well whilst they're on the yeah. ground. Uh, actually, uh, uh, John's just saying it's significant as it's the first sub-Saharan uh, flight from um, Ryanair to be fair so yeah. it's, it's just, uh, they're not known for going to those sorts of destinations are they they frightened of the sound or something Quite, uh, Murit yes. Muritania was the place you were Muritania I'm, I'm struggling go. to say out loud sorry yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe the gin wasn't a good idea after all no, would have helped <laughs> right okay. uh, right uh, who's next it's, uh, I, I think, sadly, it's me. Oh. And it's, uh, it's a story uh, with your name written all over it, Nick, I think. Uh, well, well, it's Project Wingman, you mean? Oh, yes, right, definitely. So uh, April has seen, uh, oh, I might add, that this is uh, written by, especially for me, uh, with sources <laughs> from UK Aviation News, uh, travelweekly.co.uk, virgin.com, who are they? And projectwingman.co.uk. So April's seen the launch of Project Wingman, a brand new initiative which brings together pilots, cabin crew and airline staff from across the UK to help support the well-being of frontline NHS staff dealing with the current pan uh, pandemic. Pan, pan, pandemic. <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I'm putting out an emergency. <laughs> pan, pan, yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the project recreates the atmosphere of an airline lounge to help doctors, nurses and health professionals unwind and get some refreshments in between sessions on hospital wards. Initially launched at a Whittington Hospital. Is that where Dick went? Uh, in <laughs> North London. The project has now rolled out in many major hospitals around the country, a full of which, a list of which is available on their website. Uh, in, in its mission statement, uh, Project Wingman has said, uh, it's not a person, it's a thing, um, since NHF workers give first-class treatment to their patients, our first-class lounges are a way of giving NHS staff the treatment they deserve. Sounds like they're really nice. People won't want to go home. Uh, 
Furloughed, grounded or made redundant by a COVID-19 crisis, we aircrew find ourselves in the unexpected circumstances of having skills and time to help the most in need of a smile. Crews are trained in human factors and how to communicate with colleagues who are in stressful situations. We follow uniform professionals, understand what it's like to operate in a highly disciplined, regulated and pressured environment. This goes a long way in bonding and sharing experience and empathy. Medical staff need to talk about their job with people who can empathise with the pressures involved. Whether it's talking to a cabin crew member about their travels or being handed a cup of tea by a pilot, our uniformed and dedicated airline crews are putting smiles on the faces of NHS workers across the country. So the initiative grew from an idea by Professor uh, Rob Bohr, consultant clinical psychologist at the uh, Royal Free Hospital in London, who said, we want to look after the well-being of all our frontline NHS staff. We immediately thought of airline staff and reached out for them to support us. Many airline crews have been grounded and uh, we recognise that this represents a rich resource of uniformed and disciplined workers used to problem solving and providing care. We called on Captain Dave Fielding of uh, British Airways and Captain Emma Henderson of EasyJet and between them they have sent out a call to arms to all aircrew across every airline regardless of brand. So around 1,200 volunteers are already involved from airlines including uh, Norwegian, Easy, British Airways, Virgin, TUI, Flybe, Jet2 and Logan Air if you want a bit of a Scottish flavour. Mm. Um, and they've got a, um, a link here if you want to donate to help out uh, the organisation, uh, either as an individual or a business, uh, or if you're an air crew with uh, time on your hands and you want to get involved, then uh, take a look at uh, www.projectwingman.co.co. UK, sorry, .co.uk. I mean, it's a brilliant idea, isn't it? It's such a simple idea. As you say, these people are, are very experienced in looking after, you know, the, these guys need a bit of help, don't they? And, and of course, ca- cabin crew are, are, are really well, you know, well suited to uh, sort of looking after and, and helping people, aren't they, when in, in these difficult times. It's not, not nice to get that sort of first-class feel for people who are, are doing, you know, going that extra mile. Oh, it certainly is. I, I think exactly right. Uh, and um, I know that I, I've been keeping in touch with a lot of employees, my old mates uh, with Virgin Atlantic, and many of them who are no longer flying have taken up all sorts of jobs. Uh, some are drivers uh, for you know, delivery, um, I, Tesco's and that sort of thing. So they're delivering food to people. Uh, others are in voluntary organisations um, helping out uh, staff at care um, homes and that sort of thing. Uh, and others, um, who particularly, we've got quite a large core of um, medically trained personnel, uh, Virgin, who obviously aren't doing much at the moment. And they've uh, actually gone into hospitals now. So they're helping out uh, doing um, the sort of things that they're well qualified to do um so yeah people are getting involved and they're doing things that are you know going to help us all in the long run ah, it's, i mean it's a great story isn't it it's it's uh, you know and, and good luck to them that's what i say yeah. absolutely yep
Um, we should have mentioned at the start of the show, actually, that you may have noticed that Carlos is not with us today, which is unusual for him. Um, Poppy the cat is not feeling particularly well, so him and Gemma are looking after her tonight. Mm. So that's the reason Carlos is not on the show. But uh, we wish them all uh, best wishes. Yes. And hope, hope yes. Poppy the cat gets better soon. Hopefully. All right, no cat jokes tonight then. No, 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 <laughs> no, right. no, not until no. after. Show. Okay, no, no oh, we'll, 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 we'll sweep them under the carpet for now. Yes. <laughs> what the cat? No, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> sorry oh, didn't no. mean to. Oh, oops. Uh, anyway, next. Uh... <laughs> well, the uh, the airline, the airline police, uh, the air police have been oh. out again. Um, just as someone tries to do something good, they they get, you know, mm. called out. Uh, on the BBC website, it says that a pilot has been reported to the CAA after apparently spelling out NHS with his flight path. Uh, the Cessna 150 pilot flew over Berkshire on Saturday during a flight to check the aircraft's engine. Aviation enthusiasts criticised the pilot for appearing to breach CAA rules restricting recreational aircraft during lockdown. Blackbush Airport in Hampshire said that the pilot exceeded what was permitted. Under guidance issued by the UK's aviation regulator in response to the coronavirus, recreational flying has stopped with exceptions, including flights to maintain engine health. It is understood that the pilot on an engine health flight broke CAA rules forbidding aircraft to travel beyond the 10 nautical mile radius unless to preserve the safety of the flight. Aviation enthusiasts spotted the NHS tribute on the global aircraft tracking website, Flight Radar 24. Blackbush Airport said that the pilot had been reported to the CAA using standard reporting procedures. In a statement on Twitter, it said, whilst we appreciate this particular pilot's intention, it is well outside of what is permitted and we'll be addressing this with the pilot concerned. The CAA has been contacted for comment. Oh, dear. End of story. <laughs> well, that's an interesting one because there's going to be definitely two uh, avenues of thought here. Uh, firstly, the uh, aviation enthusiasts will think, ah, oh, it, was, it was no big deal. Uh, there's no threat to nothing, anybody. Uh, but the CAA will be going, look, we laid down the guidelines. It's to prevent uh, frivolous uh, flying. Um, and frivolous going to the airport. We don't need to. We're trying to keep everyone at home and keep them safe. And it uh, does not fall within the guidelines we laid down. So you have to say, to, I, I, the way I look at it is the only people that are going to be looking at Flight Radar 24 or whatever website uh, produces, uh, sorry, uh, you know, any tracking service that produces this that allows you to see it, the people in the NHS for whom it's intended, are not going to have time or probably not interested enough to go and take a look. So, so uh, it's, a, it's a little bit meaningless, quite it, honestly. Well, yes, quite. And interestingly, on the flip side to that, so it, uh, uh, the, the, there's another part to this, this story, ironically. So Flying in Ireland has reported essentially that the Northern Ireland uh, Air Ambulance pays tribute to the NHS at 15,000 feet. Uh, so the Northern Ireland uh, Fixed uh, Wing Air Ambulance operated at Woodgate Aviation has traced out the initials NHS in the skies above North Antrim to coincide with the clap for carers last Thursday evening. The track uh, taken by the King Air B, uh, BE20 
uh, aircraft could be seen on flight tracking apps Plane Finder and Flight Radar 24 as it flew 15,000 fleet over Coleraine and Ballymoney. Uh, the, the air ambulance, which war, has transported hundreds of patients from Northern Ireland for specialist medical treatment in hospitals in Great Britain, was on a proving flight uh, following maintenance work at the Woodgate hangar at Belfast uh, International Airport. The aerial NHS was Woodgate's unique way of saying thank you for the heroic work being done by the frontline staff um, uh, to combat COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And uh, they've, they, they're right. Uh, I'll just show you the, the, the website very quickly, if I may, uh, here. I mean, that's a very neat uh, example if you are looking at the YouTube version of this, uh, you know, the, the the NHS logo and all that kind of thing. And interestingly enough, there doesn't seem to be uh, anybody kicking up a fuss about that. I don't know whether it's because it was... Uh, I mean, they were both essentially doing a similar job, weren't they? Um, both of these aircraft, they were, you know, they they were sort of working for the NHS, if you like, when they when they they carried out these these exercises. It's just sort of interesting that uh, in Ireland it's sort of been turned a little bit of a blind eye to, perhaps, uh, and yet. Uh, well, I think all the GA pilots that are being very good boys and staying at home and, and resisting the temptation to go and get airborne will be rightfully going. Well, if he can go and do that, why the hell can't I? Well, quite. <laughs> yeah, no, no, or maybe he just tra sent off his transponder. Or that, obviously, that's bad form. And, and yes, quite. Well, yeah, it, w it wouldn't have quite had the same effect on <laughs> Flight Radar Twenty Four. <laughs> no, <laughs> he could have had his personal record on his, you know, built-in GPS. Or yeah, something. but as soon as he puts it on social media, then you're you're, you're kind of yeah giving it away uh, i don't know uh the ga uh, people will a lot of people will go nothing wrong with that a lot of other people who are being very good will say hey i'm being good what's the matter with you yep yeah indeed i mean a lot of this is to do with um you know i mean let's be honest these flights are you know as we've already said earlier in the show you, you've got to have these things uh in the air it's uh uh, you know, maintenance flights and stuff. They don't like to be stuck on on the ground, do they? This, this, this is the long and the short of it. Um, uh, Doctor Steph actually hints that the frivolous flying is the only kind that she does, obviously, <laughs> uh, which is uh, very Doctor Steph, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and actually, uh, Pip and Al, uh, the latest. I was listening to their uh, latest uh, podcast. There, we're actually talking about the requirements to um, you know uh, fly your aircraft every. Uh, a month or so, uh, just to keep it uh, in a good, airworthy condition. You can't just yeah. leave it to sit on the ground mm. for ages. Uh, so you are allowed to get airborne, uh, say, you know, whatever the, the manufacturer recommends, say, um, every 30 days or every 50 days or whatever, and do a short flight. But yeah. if you stretch the rules and then make it public, I think you can probably expect... Yeah, uh, a little ra bit of ramifications from it. Uh, yeah. uh, interestingly enough, Masha says because I, I was saying it was a, a lot neater, wasn't I? The second one is Masha saying, "I guess it's much easier to be neater in a helicopter," uh, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is which is a fair point. Let's be honest. But uh, there we go. Uh, anyway, well, in a helicopter, you could do it quite small, and then just blow it up on your map so it looks big. I mean, 
<laughs> Couldn't oh, we? Oh, oh, sorry. I, to... I take it back. It wasn't done in a heli. It was done in a King Air fixed wing. So I take that. Oh, take God, that well, they would have oh, need oh. Half, half of Ireland to do that then. <laughs> Quite, yes. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Well, never mind. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the thought that counts. That's what I reckon. It's the thought that exactly. counts. Yeah, indeed. Now, the, uh, the next story, Matt, is about uh, ha- Harrison Ford uh, yes. over his L.A. runway incident. And he has got a bit of previous. Uh, yes, uh, I think it's fair to say it's not the first time he's made a slight, uh, shall we say, uh, no. error. Uh, so this is on the BBC website, bbc.co.uk, and the headline is uh, Harrison Ford investigated over L.A. runway incident. Uh, so the U.S. actor Harrison Ford is being investigated over an incident last week at the uh, at an airport in Southern California. The Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, said he was piloting a small plane that wrongly crossed a runway where another aircraft was landing. The planes were within about 3,600 feet. That's 1,100 metres of each other at Los Angeles Hawthorne Airport last Friday. Uh, there, were no da- there was no danger of a crash, the FAA said. Ford, who is 77, acknowledged his mistake and apologised. Um, the representative said in a statement that the star of the Indiana Jones and Star Wars films had misheard an instruction from air traffic control. The purpose of the flight was to maintain currency and proficiency in the aircraft no one was injured and there was never any danger of a collision the statement said Ford was at the controls of a two-seat Aviat Husky light plane it is not the first time Ford uh, for Ford a well-known aviation enthusiast has been involved in uh, previous air incidents in 2017 he flew over an American Airlines plane with 110 passengers and crew on board at California's John Wayne Airport no one was injured and the FAA decided not to take any further action uh, in 2015 the actor was injured when he crash landed his vintage plane on a golf course in Los Angeles. Now we do actually have somewhere. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, we do actually have the ATC uh, conference, and I think it's safe to say that, it, that people get a little bit cross after a while. So let, let's give it a go. Here we go. Husky United Hotel uniform, turn left Delta, runway two five, taxi is zero with me. Okay, left on Delta, taxi on zero with you, sir. Tower, uh, Cirrus A16 Tower Tango is inbound on the practice localizer uh, with payback. Cirrus A16 Tower Tango, Roger, continue inbound, runway 25, wind 270 at 8, clear to land. Clear to land 25, uh, 6 Tower Tango. Husky 9 Hotel Uniform, pay attention. GBH. Husky 9 Hotel Uniform, hold short, runway 25 at hotel. Hold short of two five at hotel for eight nine hotel uniform. Eight hotel uniform, hold short of hotel. Hotel uniform, can you hold short runway two five? Traffic on the runway. Crossing two five. Eight nine hotel uniform. Nine hotel uniform, get across that runway now. I told you to hold short. You need to listen up. Uh, excuse me, sir. I thought exactly the opposite. I'm terribly sorry. I am, sir. Canary Hotel Uniform, I'm so sorry about this. A possible pilot deviation. When you get a chance, give me, uh, you got the phone number to call the tower up here? I'll take it now. All right, number is 310. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's safe to say that the, the, uh, the, the guy in charge at the tower there is not impressed. I think it's safe to say. He's also a bit grumpy as well, I thought. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Well, right. Yes. Yeah. So, Nick, it's... what do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, I think the controller is just uh, 
he's concerned and he's yeah. uh, snapping because he wants the pilot, this very famous pilot, to understand that he has um, done a boo-boo. Yes. Um, so, yeah. Uh, the, if you, uh, it's, it is one of the major concerns in aviation. Uh, they've been trying to fight it for years. Uh, that is uh, inadvertent um, uh, aircraft getting into uh, the runway environment uh, such that the maps you uh, use to navigate around the ground uh, out of an airport uh, have all these hot spots marked on them uh, and everyone should be very, very aware of uh, when they're coming up to a runway and uh, confirm clearances. Uh, when I was working, um, we uh, always required both pilots to acknowledge between themselves that they had uh, a proper authorization to cross a runway. So it was never down to one pilot to go, yeah, okay, we, here we go. He would have to say, uh, I had a clear to cross there, and he would look across the other pilot, and he would, have, uh, would be confirmed by the other pilot that they were cleared across, and then having both agreed, then uh, they would go across with lots of lookout, etc., etc. So, I mean, forgive, so, forgive my naivety here, because as I say, I, I'm the first to admit I don't know a great deal about this sort of thing. I mean, we, we know about this story, obviously, because it's Harrison Ford. So, you know, everybody knows who Harrison Ford is. He's very famous. Therefore, it's it's sort of made the news. But it, is this something that's actually a lot more common than than we realise, if you see what I mean. Okay, as I say, we know about it because Harrison Ford made the boo-boo, but, I mean, is there stuff like this going on all the time that that, uh, that isn't making the headlines because it's not a, a well-known pilot? Uh, it does happen. Uh, it was not common uh, because people should be very aware of it, uh, and uh, the authorities do treat it very seriously because, you think about it, it is one of the the possibilities of an absolutely disastrous accident. If you mm. uh, enter the runway when someone's landing or uh, try and cross a runway in front of someone who's taking off, it, it, it'll be a Tenerife, and don't forget the Tenerife disaster was our, and still is, our largest uh, aviation disaster ever, and it was this sort of a thing that happened, you know, two right. aircraft colliding on a runway. Uh, so you, now Harrison Ford's driving a light aircraft on his own, and I don't know what the other aircraft involved was, but it was actually the going away from him down the other end of the runway. So there was no actual problem. But the authorities treat it very seriously, oh, well, and every yeah. pilot needs to as well. Well, of course, potentially it could have a ver could have very easily had a different outcome at the end of the day, couldn't it? So, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, though, yeah, we've had – it's happened in the States, and every time it happens, uh, you know, uh, the, the procedures are tightened up and people become aware of it. Uh, and I think one of the reasons that Harrison Ford uh, was highlighted, not just because he's Harrison Ford, but because uh, he's already had one boo-boo in living memory, quite relatively recent living memory, when he landed not on the runway he was supposed to land on, but oh, on, on the, the taxi taxiway, yes. taxiway next door, yeah. and relatively close to an airliner. So... Uh, you know, I don't know how old he is, but I'm beginning to wonder if it's perhaps time he hired a pilot. He's Although, uh, to be fair, uh, so so actually, Pip in the chat room here is a sort of well, I I I, I maybe he's jumped to his defence a little bit here in the fact that he's saying uh, so non-standard RT always uh, brings a risk of situations like this, uh, and then he goes on to say that continue to hold short is a terrible instruction for a controller to give. 
Yeah, I think I now you'd have to replay it for me because it's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. Um, but I thought he gave a hold short, and uh, then Harrison uh, asked a question, and then he said continue to hold short. So, uh, having had a hold short instruction, that should be plain and clear. Right. Uh, and um, we all understand plain English. I agree. It's it's not good, uh, but continue to hold short. Uh, as soon as you hear hold short you should be going, oh, well, that sounds like something to do with the whole short instruction. If I'm not sure what it is, I will ask. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, perhaps the, the error here is if he's not 100% sure what the instruction was, maybe he should have asked for clarification. Well, that's exactly right, particularly when it's uh, involving a runway crossing. You, you never do it unless you're absolutely certain you know what the clearance is. Uh, uh, Harrison Ford is 77, by the way. Uh, people asking... Uh, sort of like how old he was, and as I say, seventy-seven. Uh, I'm not well, sure that's relevant, yeah. to be honest with you, because I mean, you know. Well, I, I think your ability does decline with age. Right. Mine certainly does. <laughs> but you're not seventy-seven, Nick. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> well, it's not like you fall off a cliff at seventy-seven, <laughs> well, no, is it? Quite, no, I mean, it, it declines with age, and uh, yeah. he's he's seven, so his will have deteriorated. Some yeah. people are very sharp. Uh, others, you know, decline at a more normal rate. Yeah. <laughs> I just, uh, Captain Tom would have never made that mistake. Well, no, quite, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, do carry on. We'll come to yeah. him later, yes. <laughs> I remember uh, having many conversations with you, Nick, and Al, and other people, probably over a beer somewhere in a hotel uh, over the last few years about uh, runway incursions and non-standard RT and this sort of stuff. Do you think that... Um, there, are, there are notable improvements. I, I know you've not been flying for a little while, but in, in terms of RT and, and the way people read things back, and if they're not sure, they ask again. Uh, do you think there's been any, any improvement over the years? or, or It happens in waves, uh, Nev, to be absolutely truthful. So when there's a big push and everyone's talking about it and the simulators uh, guys are on top of it, uh, then everyone um, picks it up and, you know, they they improve their standards. Um, and to be fair, certainly in the UK, air traffic standards are usually pretty good. They're, they're usually top-notch. It's usually the pilots that are the worst. So once the pressure's off, people start uh, re reverting to their normal slapdash ways. Uh, and it's a matter of self-discipline to keep your RT... Um, clear, concise, and correct all the time. Uh, so it is very easy, and you have to keep trying. And, and, of course, there's new generation of pilots coming into the industry all the time. And if they have picked up some bad habits from the people they've been working with, um, then they're just going to perpetuate that. So it, it's something you need to keep on top of all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the next story is for you, Nick, I would say. Yes, it's all about another coronavirus. Mm. Oh, okay. Uh, this is Featuring uh, an aircraft that I dare say you've probably been at the controls of. I, I, I think I certainly have. Yeah. Yes, I don't, it didn't look like that when I flew it. No. <laughs> so this is <laughs> from uh, the BBC, and uh, it's all about an NHS passenger plane bringing PPE from China, which sounds like a great idea. So it's a passenger plane bearing the logo, thank you, NHS. And it landed in the UK with a cargo full of surgical gowns from 
China. And it was an Airbus A340, and you're quite right. It was one that I had previously flown many times uh, in uh, Virgin. And uh, although they have uh, actually removed the logos, it's still pretty recognizable yes. as a uh, Virgin aircraft with its uh, red wingtips and its red tail and red engines. But the flying lady has gone. I have had uh, any reference to Virgin, um, which is a shame. But anyway, what they did, uh, as they're doing on a lot of airlines, uh, and in fact, um, in-service Virgin aircraft are doing this all the time. I think 90 flights uh, last month uh, they did um, in passenger aircraft uh, stuffed full of boxes of PP, I think someone said 44 million items of PPE have been flown by Virgin Atlantic wow. uh, into this country uh, in that month. So uh, a pretty impressive effort. And this was another aircraft, obviously ex-Virgin. Not, I don't think it was even flown by Virgin pilots, not that I've heard of it. Anyway, so the, the boxes are strapped into every seat and then they put netting over the top to keep them under control if there's a bit of turbulence. And uh, the NHS supplier, Crest Medical, said it was using passenger jets as well as cargo planes in order to ramp up inputs of uh, personal uh, protective equipment. Uh, the firm said it had more than doubled its PPE supply since January, which is great. And uh, Dr. David Lawrence said the coronavirus uh, outbreak has increased the need for, well, we know that, PPE. Uh, and, uh, of course, it's all down to the number of glove uh, changes and gown changes and uh, uh, their masks as well, their, their uh, visors as well. They have to do it many times in a shift, uh, and it's it, it really, they do go through this stuff really quickly. So the Warrington-based firm is planning at least five more flights using uh, passenger jets supplied by European Aviation. So I suspect that's the company that's uh, looking after this particular Airbus. And uh, I, they probably found a few contract pilots. And uh, if I was uh, furloughed, a Virgin Airbus pilot, I'd be so put behind up, and yeah, I'll do that job. <laughs> Give me something to do. Uh, so I think it's great, and it looks fabulous. I love the fact that they've gone to the trouble of doing a paint job on it. It's yeah. brilliant. I mean, it's simple, obviously. They haven't gone sort of bananas on it, have they? But uh, it's... Uh, it's no, but they... It, it's pretty clear what what job that's doing, and uh, I think it's uh, great. It actually, looks yeah. looks super. They've made the red heart same colour as the engines. So, so apparently, um, apparently, uh, Malath Aero are the ones leasing it from uh, European Aviation. So there we go. Cool. Well, <laughs> uh, I, I gather that the uh, the old Airbuses I used to fly are being spread far and wide nowadays. So some are going to Africa, yeah. uh, but at least they're not all being turned into. Uh, uh, tin cans and beer cans and things. Well, yes, like all, all <laughs> there, the Boeing's are. There is definitely that, and it's uh, there's um, it's. Uh, sorry, I'm just trying to. So there's 17 flights a week to and from New York, for example, uh, that they're doing. Uh, nine flights a week to and from Los Angeles. Twice weekly flights from New York JFK to um, Los Angeles uh, into Dublin. Uh, twice weekly departures from Dublin into London. Daily flights to and from Shanghai. Four weekly services to and from Hong Kong. Twice weekly flights from uh, to and from Tel Aviv. Three services a week to and from Johannesburg. And twice weekly flights to and from Mumbai. So they're certainly keeping themselves busy. Uh, <laughs> they're certainly doing absolutely. that. Yep. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, oh, GV Nap. 
GVNAP. What's GVNAP? Was, Explain. Was that the one they used to have a, a great big thank you uh, on it? I can't remember. It was. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I've got the model right here. I'm just getting the model. Oh, is he yes, it I was. It yeah. was GVNAP. And uh, that was it. Here's one. He's to have here's, here's a big Virgin Atlantic. Thank you. Uh, and I remember the last time I flew that one, it was a white tail. So it had been in uh, mothballs. And when Virgin decided that they were going to bring it back into service, uh, they uh, flew it into uh, Gatwick, I think, and I took it up to Manchester uh, to deliver it to the paint shop where they did that particular uh, logo down the full size of the fuselage. And that was I think that's the last time I flew it. I was going to say that uh, since the last time you flew it, the, the aircraft's been unserviceable. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> Almost. I very nearly broke it. You're quite right. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> uh, it yes. returned to service on Valentine's Day 2018, apparently. Oh, well, that's good to, good to see that, that the old girl's still going. Yeah, absolutely. And then withdrawn, sadly, two years later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. In your notes, Sleeping Beauty rejuvenated. Yeah, a yeah. big virgin. Thank absolutely. You, oh, he, he's a busy old boy, is our John. <laughs> he's done a good job, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. For a kangaroo. Re researching like a man for a kangaroo. Lovely. How rude. Uh, right. The only reason I say that, the, the listeners won't know, is that he's here on our little uh, Zoom page and he's given himself the logo of a kangaroo. So. Oh. Well, fair. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, the next story, Nev. Yes, there's some trouble here. What a shame because uh, we reported on this. Uh, I think oh, it was yes. the back end of last year, um, and this is on the InvestorChronicle.co.uk website, and it says that Boeing has announced that it is walking away from a 4.2 billion dollar deal to establish a joint venture with Embraer. Uh, the aviation giant has been set to take an 80% stake in the partnership, but says the Brazilian company did not satisfy the necessary conditions of their agreement. Embraer has hit back. Oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. Bless you. <laughs> Bless you. You're right there, Nick. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm fine now. Thank you. Yeah, yes, lovely. Yes. Right, yes. <laughs> well, quite. Uh, as, uh, Embraer has hit back. Uh, <laughs> Boeing engaged in a uh, systematic pattern of delay in light of its own financial condition. Um, no, really? A bit of extra info on this. Analysts often assume that the uh, Bombardier-Airbus uh, combination triggered the Embraer-Boeing talks because the thinking goes that Embraer reached the conclusion that it couldn't compete with the support network and pricing power Airbus brought to the C-Series uh, since rebranded the A220. Nevertheless, Embraer commercial aircraft CEO John Slattery told Aviation International News last September that the talks with Boeing actually started before Airbus announced its intention to take over the C-Series. Our transaction with Boeing was completely independent of that, he insisted. That being said, being pragmatic, it does add a sense of urgency to what to move on to now with the uh, transaction. Uh, now, as if to add insult to injury, Boeing refuses to pay Embraer the $100 million termination penalty specified by the master transaction agreement in the event it exited the deal. Embraer has filed for arbitration and said it will pursue all remedies against Boeing for damages. Well, both companies often promoted the synergies the deal would bring. Uh, the Embraer e-jets would 
benefit from Boeing's market reach and financial muscle, whilst Boeing would gain access to what the Brazilians often touted as Embraer's engineering expertise. Some, however, wondered how Boeing, one of the world's most technologically advanced companies, could face a shortage of engineering expertise. It seemed more likely that Boeing coveted the access to cheap labour in Brazil, though neither company has explicitly said so. So now the interesting, this, I'd say there's so many interesting things with this story, isn't there? It's yeah, uh, you you can't help because the trouble is, is like when you when you read the you know because we've been researching this quite quite heavily this story, uh, and the reason that they gave for terminating the planned joint venture on the 24th of April 2020 uh, was that apparently Embraer did not satisfy the conditions established in their gr- agreement. Now, of course, when you read the the flip side to that, they haven't been paid their massive one point. Well, I, I can't remember what it was it 100 million or something silly that they 100 million dollars yeah, yeah 100 million dollars that they should have been paid if there had been an early termination so you can't help because they're so vague with this satisfy the conditions established in their agreement um, i also wonder whether um had this not been at this time so yes. we're right in the middle of this massive aviation crisis had this been a normal 2020 uh th- this probably would have been a non-story or it would have been sorted out in a matter of a couple of months but yeah uh, Oh, yeah. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, uh, Nev. I think uh, Boeing are really suffering, and I don't think they want to pay anything to anyone that they don't have to no. right now. Well, of course, I mean, to be fair, you know, because of the whole Max thing, of course, they, they've been suffering long before this all kicked in, this whole COVID nonsense. You know, it's so, I mean, it's on the one hand, you can't blame them. Uh, for doing that, but it's just you know, oh, I don't know. I, I I do I do like I don't like it when the little guy is being pooed on from a great height, shall we say? And you you can't help but feel that Embraer. But I mean, maybe they have genuinely, you know, not satisfied the conditions of their agreement. But uh, you know, I I I can't help but side on the little guy. You know, it, when when things like this happen, really. Well, you never know, though. I mean, if we fast forward. 12 months, possibly, where there might be a different conversation going on. You, yeah. you never know. Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, routes may have changed and, you know, the long-haul sectors mm. may not be what they used to be and there may be lots more short-haul sectors. Who knows? We, we don't know what this is going to bring. But, uh, but I mean, my flip side to that is like, is like, well, yeah, but don't make up a load of rubbish in order to sort of quantify that. Just be honest and say, look, we're in a position where we can't afford to do it at the moment. Obviously, everybody's aware of the max thing, you know, we don't want to be spending money unnecessarily so perhaps we could just sort of postpone this deal i'm sure everyone yes. this uh, is pr i think they've got to find a legal oh, okay. way all to right. do that man i don't think they can just appeal to people's okay. good nature all right no no i suppose we are talking about you know big business here aren't we so yeah and like, large sums of money so no, no, they're gonna to have to legally find a, a way to weasel out of it no fair point okay all right i'll i'll tell you what i i will i will shut up by moving on to the next story shall i that's probably the Please. safest thing to do uh simpleflying.com is our source for this one of the headline is this chinese airline will let you buy three rows for yourself now we were uh, covering last week some rather amusing ways that that uh, some designers were thinking 
uh, of a way of dealing with this whole um, uh, social distancing thing, shall we say, when uh, when uh, things do hopefully go back to some kind of normality. But anyway, social distancing measures on flights has been a hot topic of late. Some airlines have chosen to sell fewer tickets for flights, block out the middle seats, or create an empty buffer zone near crew jump seats uh, should a passenger feel like they need a personal buffer. However, Chinese domestic airline Air Chang'an is uh, happy to oblige. Those travelling with the carrier can now purchase empty adjacent seats for uh, $28 a piece. That's very affordable, isn't it? So the domestic uh, market in China is show is showing tentative signs of recovery, which will undoubtedly mean the space on its aircraft will begin to feel cramped once more. As reported by Forbes, Air Chang'an, as part of Hainan Airlines Group, is offering those wanting a secure social distance parameter around them the possibility to pay for the extra space and perhaps peace of mind an adjacent extra seat uh, comes for goes for just $28 a whole set of eight allowing the passenger to block off the entire row uh, of three behind one seat uh, to each side and the row of three in front costs $226 not included is extra baggage allowance and frequent flyer points uh, the offer is only available at the airport on the day of departure and if there are enough seats available on the plane uh, only. So this novel extra product is only offered on flights out of Air Chang'an's home base, um, which, uh, it, which is out of uh, central China. It will initially be available until the end of 2020. The story does not tell whether or not people can create a buffer around themselves at the same time, meaning two empty rows one after the other, or if passengers could end up paying for the same seats, still leaving only one empty row between them, which of course is a concern. Air Chang'an or Chang'an Airlines Limited was established in 1993 to start. Uh, it operated several regional routes um, from various airports. The domestically built twin-engine turboprop plane was based on the 44-seat Ukrainian Antonov AN-24 for which China obtained production licenses. The carrier was acquired in 2000 by Hainan Airline Group. It flew under Hainan's HU code until it recommended independent service uh, are under the Air Chang'an brand on the 9th of May 2016. It then began operating uh, a um, is it Zan to Zoo? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with these names. Anyway, uh, it was a 737-800 that they were operating it on. But uh, I don't know. How do we feel about this? Um, I mean... I think it's hilarious. So you've bought a block of nine seats and you're sitting smack in the middle. As soon as you get airborne on the seatbelt signs are off, everyone's going to go, oh, there's a bunch of seats there. I'll just go and lie down over there. <laughs> and you're going to have to spend the entire flight fighting everyone off uh, from filling your empty seats because they're going, oh, there's the three free seats. I'll go lie down, have a little sleep. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you're just going to spend the entire flight going, get out of my seats. Yeah, and of course, I the one thing it does, does... We, we have spent a hundred years <laughs> working out how to get on an aircraft and get off an aircraft in the most efficient way. Uh, uh, we still haven't got there, I don't think. And now we're starting this kind of business. I, I think it, it's a bit of a non-starter, isn't it? And, and I apologise to everyone in advance. Apparently, it's pronounced Hi Nana, um, the the airport name, not the one that I couldn't do. So I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> Uh, I'm not very good at this 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 stuff. I, I don't know. I, I think I think John is trying to trip me up by putting these horrendous uh, like names yeah. in there. I can't we normally do it to Carlos, so I shouldn't complain really. 
<laughs> that is true, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, the next story uh, is on the BBC News website. And do you remember we keep talking about Germany's new Berlin airport? I yes. Mean, we've done we've a couple been of stories about it for this, nine yeah. years, basically. Where even the screens were failing before they ever actually got used, stuff like That's that. Yeah. Right. Well, out of warranty, weren't they? Oh, very um, much so, yes. <laughs> well, there may not be no passengers on the, this is on the BBC News website, by the way, but there may be no passengers on the horizon because of the coronavirus pandemic, but Berlin's long-awaited new airport has finally been given clearance for takeoff on the 31st of October. Berlin-Brandenburg was due to open in March 2011, but delays and scandals put it on hold for almost a decade. Building authorities have now given it the green light 14 years after construction began. It will replace the capital's old Tegel and Schoenenfeld uh, airports. Berlin-Brandenburg, also known as Willy Brandt Airport after the former West German Chancellor, was I used to have his car. <laughs> Did you really? <laughs> yes, I used to drive Herr Willy Brandt's car. Did you? Okay, well, we, need, we need more details on that at the end of this story. Carry was, on now. Oh, you carry on with the story. <laughs> yeah. That's a bit of a su surprise, isn't yes. it? Yes. Um, well, the, the tourist season is already under threat, of course, with the government aiming to extend a worldwide travel ban for tourists up to the 14th of June and leaving a decision on the rest of the summer until later. Uh, German states operate a staggered summer, summer holiday. Uh, it's probably due to the um, Oktoberfest, I would imagine, uh, with the northern state of uh, uh, Mecklenburg, Western Pomerania, starting on the 22nd of June. A normal holiday that we've grown up to, to used, sorry, we've grown used to with full beaches won't happen this year anywhere, whether in Europe or anywhere in the world, uh, Foreign Minister uh, Heiko Maas has said. Uh, the travel sector has been hit especially hard by lockdown restrictions. Germany is predicting a 6.3% fall in economic output in 2020, bigger than the slump that followed the 2008 financial crisis. Well, what took the airport so long? Well, construction of the airport, which is south of Schoenfeld, began in 2006, but a mixture of design fiascos and other issues turned Berlin-Brandenburg into a national embarrassment as it missed six opening dates in succession. The main problems were uh, Meinhardt uh, von Gherkin's original terminal design had to be redrawn with twice the capacity in a row over the airport company adding airport shopping. Uh, the construction planning company went bankrupt. Then there were problems with sprinklers, fire doors and cabling, and the public cost mushroomed. A corruption scandal prompted accusations that a whistleblower had become ill after his coffee was poisoned. Oh, blimey. It soon emerged, it's like Russia, isn't it? It soon emerged <laughs> that the increase in flights to Berlin meant that it would already not be big enough uh, even by the time it opened. Now, safety company TUV has given the airport a clean bill of health and airport boss uh, Engelbert uh, Daltrup uh, sees the opening as a sign that things are back on the rise in the capital region and that the economy is getting back on its feet. Well, operational tests still need to be carried out and aviation permits granted, but officials say uh, says that nothing now stands in the way of an awesome opening. I mean, this is been a fiasco this airport isn't it from, from <laughs> which is so unlike the germans well it's very much so. it, normally the, the model of efficiency uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, actually, so tell, 
I can say probably just worth mentioning also, uh, I noticed the show notes have been updated while we've been doing this. Uh, there's some extra information that's come from the executivetravelers.com website. Uh, apparently it's not the only thing that's happening in Berlin. Berlin's uh, Tegel Airport will temporarily close on the 1st of June with the chance that it may not reopen before the much-delayed Berlin, Berlin Airport uh, finally begins operations on the 31st of October. Uh, Tegel has slated uh, to pull down the shutters on the 8th of uh, November, one week after the airlines begin flying in and out of Berlin, Band, um, Brandenburg. But uh, the Berlin Morning Post now reports that Tegel is to be temporarily closed on the 1st of June to reduce losses for the Berlin Airport Company given the slump in traffic. Uh, so Berlin Schlonfield Airport will become the German capital's sole airport in the interim. The number of passengers across both Tegel and Schlonfield is now said to stand at just one percent of regular traffic. I mean, and because we're not, we're seeing this uh, across all airports, aren't we? Uh, across the world. I mean, you know, mm. the 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 numbers. I mean, you you think like I, I'll use Heathrow as an example, obviously, and uh, I'm sure I read from one of our friends in the BFF group that uh, that. Uh, you know, the, the, an airport that normally has, what, four terminals operating and basically everything's going out of Terminal 5. Yeah, I mean, they're down to 75 flights a, a day, roughly speaking. Which is uh, insane, isn't it? I mean, yes. you can't compute that, really. More importantly, we need the, the Villy Brandt story from Nick. <laughs> I was just going to say, Pip says that uh, Schoenfeld and Brandenburg are of the same airport. Uh, they, they what, what we're talking about is the new terminal yeah. that they've built. Right. Um, yes, uh, okay. Yeah. When uh, when uh, my I was about six, uh, Herr Billy Brandt was the mayor of Berlin, and every year he used to uh, pick up the brand a brand new Mercedes from a garage, the latest model, and uh, trade it in with his old one. And when my old man uh, went out to work in Berlin with the rest of us uh, for a year or two. Um, he went to the garage and bought this Mercedes, which had been uh, Herr Willy Brandt's. And uh, we had it in the family for, I don't know, 13-odd years. And I, I, I first rode in it when I was six. It was so dear to us, we called it auntie. It was the last of the round-bodied <laughs> ones, the little bear like ears uh, that were the indicator lights on the on the roof and uh, eventually the, when I got my test the old man said I'm getting a new car you can have auntie for a year but she's not going to pass her next MOT so I drove her for a year oh, and that wow. was her Philly Brandt's old car how about that well I, I mean you know every day's a school day isn't it Nev <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, there you go Indeed. Oh, good uh, well, the last uh, commercial news story is uh, yours, Nick. Yeah, commercial news story. I think that's a little bit grand for this story. <laughs> so, now, now. come on. We, we, is... try, we try and end on a, on a cheery note, Nick. That, uh, Nick, that's this all we're trying to do. This is very cheery. Yeah. The best airline call signs in the world, according to News Hub. <laughs> so they are they are a world renowned call sign assessor right, okay. news hub. So we're, we're looking forward to your opinion this. on this now. They've obviously got this right. Yeah. So, uh, with hundreds of flights landing every day at airports, not anymore, mate, uh, such as JFK, <laughs> there's not enough time for every pilot and controller to use the entire name of an airline when communicating. So every airline uses a unique call sign, uh, which, along with their flight number, easily identifies who they are. I think we all have got a bit beyond that. So we understand this now. So entertaining call signs from around the world. Uh, Hawaii. 
Hawaiian Airlines, not that exciting to begin with, but the airline operates uh, Flight 50 between Honolulu and New York. So its call sign is Hawaii 5 <laughs> Except the Yanks won't, won't like that because they insist if your call sign is 1-1, they insist you calling yourself 11. So they'll be Hawaii 50, and that rather yeah. defeats the object. Speedbird. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Uh, Finally. uh, Yes, Neville's favourite disaster. (laughs) This dates back to the 1930s when British Airways was known as Imperial Airways uh, and had an arrow-like bird logo on its tail. It's actually a bird shot by an arrow. Uh, That's what it's supposed to look like. Um, So that's Speedbird, very nice. Uh, And I used to love Speedbird 1. It was the Concorde, which flew to New York. And, of course, now it's a dumpy little uh, A319 out of uh, London City. Not quite the same. uh, Not quite the same, (laughs) B.A. Shamrock. Shamrock being the national symbol of Ireland, uh, this is the call sign for Aer Lingus. Did you know that on... uh, um, from Patrick's Day, you're supposed to drown the shamrock by putting a shamrock leaf in the bottom of a whiskey glass and covering it with whiskey and toasting oh. uh, um, toasting St. Patrick. Well, uh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, St. Patrick didn't drive the snakes out of Ireland. It was uh, a religious um, a comparison between him driving the druids out which were termed the snakes. There you go. Yeah. Uh, cactus, US Airways. Of course, you know from Captain Sully's Sullenberger's landing uh, in the Hudson. Cactus, 1549. Um, so there you go, a cactus in the river. That doesn't sound quite the same, does it? <laughs> uh, Dynasty is used by Taiwan-based China Airlines. This comes from the historic dynasties of yeah, okay. Yeah. Big Bird. <laughs> Big Bird. That's got to be the best airline <laughs> call sign ever. Nothing historic about a Knox Scoot Airlines call sign. It just sounds cool. I agree. I'd love to be Big Bird, but I don't suppose they've got terribly big aircraft. You really <laughs> want to be flying, you know, A380s around and calling yourself Big Bird Airways, which, by the way, is the nickname we always gave BA, Big Bird Airways. Oh, Big Bird, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I dare I ask why? <laughs> Uh, no, not really. really. Okay, no, <laughs> fair enough. No. <laughs> um, Xanadu, uh, AirAsia's uh, X call sign is all about the X factor, and Xanadu begins with an X, not a Z. Um, they also have aircraft named Zuberance with an X instead of a Z, and uh, Zilleration with an X instead of a Z. Very good. I think I, that's got a sense of humour attached to it. <laughs> I, I like that. A uh, Jedi. <laughs> this has got to be the best, isn't it? Uh, used by Jet Story, a uh, jet charter, charter company based at uh, Warsaw Chopin Airport. Uh, Jedi. Uh, I, I'd never heard of that, but I'd love to have a Jedi call sign. That would be very, very cool. And finally... GoCat, which was used <laughs> by Tiger Air of Australia until uh, 2016 when it changed it to Tigos. That's just not the same it's not as the same GoCat. GoCat, is it? Yeah. No, no. Yeah, but going around as a, as a cat food uh, airline, I think, yeah. is brilliant. I like that. No, it's just... Oh, uh, interestingly enough, the, the New Zealand bit, for the record, Air New Zealand's 
uh, is New Zealand and the New Zealand Defence Force. Uh, they both use Kiwi, apparently, which I sort of... Oh, very I, good. I, I quite like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, excellent. It, yeah, it's, uh, so um, your thoughts on this, really? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I, I think it's always nice to have a, a good, recognisable call sign. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, uh, I, mean, you, I, mean, you, I mean, I mean, I don't know a lot about call signs or anything, but even I'm able to recognise the word Speedbird as a BA flight. Yeah, it doesn't actually mean British Airways. I mean, it has no relationship. So you actually have to be in the know to know the Speedbird is BA, and oh. you're in the know now. Oh, uh, Virgin was obviously, uh, you know, Virgin Atlantic. But uh, enough, uh, when we started going over uh, the Bible Belt in the States and speaking to controllers there, they had a certain reluctance to use the call sign Virgin. Oh, of course, yeah. They used to kind of uh, blend it in and add an air on the end. So they used to call us Virgin Air. So they didn't (laughs) sound like they were saying Virgin, which we all thought was very amusing. Well, quite. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's any excuse to sort of talk religion, I suppose, is, is a, is a frightening prospect, isn't it? But, I, uh, I'm only assuming that they had a certain reluctance to use that there, but uh, there you go. No, no. Well, there we are. That is where we bring the uh, commercial segment to a close, Nev. It is. Um, now, as you know, we're not allowed out at the moment to go to air no. shows and Boo. do all those nice things that we would normally be doing. Um, so I've been putting together a series of videos which we're going to be playing out over the next few weeks as well of things that we've done in the past and this collection features quite a lot of Captain Nick oh there we are manual trim, that's where I learned to trim ergonomically I think the lemon's probably a little nicer to look at wow okay well, that's that, a bit of fun wasn't it <laughs> yeah it was uh, and seething, that was great I, so much of seething i'd forgotten about to be honest with you it's yeah, just i know like, <laughs> that no, was, i'm uh, very well edited there i like that that's yeah, a great little package isn't it oh thanks yes. uh, yeah i always enjoy uh, going to uh, a museum with nick as well because um everybody's just very silent when he when he's so enthusiastic about all the things that he's done and the aircraft that he's flown. So it's always a, a fascinating visit to museums when you're there with Nick. So uh, that uh, visit to RAF Hendon, I really enjoyed, actually. You're very kind. Uh, by the way, you forgot to ask, ask me uh, a question on the last piece about any amusing call signs from the military. <laughs> oh, go on then. Cock. Okay, right, I'm sorry I asked. Uh- <laughs> I was on a squadron, <laughs> 43 squadron. We were the fighting cocks. So we really often used the call sign cock. Oh. Well, we would, wouldn't we? Well, why not? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. Uh, there is... Uh... <laughs> now, uh, if you're here in the UK, uh, you will be very, very familiar with a gentleman by the name of Captain Tom Moore. Or should I say more appropriately now, because Queenie, uh, as part of his 100th birthday, uh, bespoking the honour of becoming a colonel. But in the States, you may be sort of slightly less aware of what this amazing man has been getting up to. So uh, Armando has been sort of taking us through uh, what uh, what this incredible man has been up to. The appeal by NHS fundraiser Captain Tom Moore has topped £32 million as he celebrated his 100th birthday. The war veteran who raised money by walking laps in his garden has also been made an honorary colonel. 
The occasion was also marked with an RAF fly-past and birthday greetings from the Queen and the Prime Minister. With celebrations underway, Captain Tom said everyone who donated was magnificent as the, the fund reached 30 million pounds Thursday morning. Inspirational war veteran Captain Tom has been appointed the first honorary colonel of the Army Foundation College in Harrogate uh, in recognition of his incredible NHS fundraising feat that embodies the Army's values and standards and has captured the nation's heart. General Sir Mark Carlton Smith, Chief of the General Staff, said, On behalf of the Army, I'd like to wish Captain Tom Moore a very happy 100th birthday and congratulate him on his heroic achievement in, at the time, raising over 29 million pounds for the NHS. His mature wisdom, no-nonsense attitude, and humor in adversity make him an inspirational role model to generations young and old. So I am delighted that he has accepted the honorary colonelcy of the Army Foundation College in Harrogate, where our 16- and 17-year-olds are trained and educated to be future leaders of the Army. Captain Tom hails from Keeley in Yorkshire, and is therefore, it is therefore highly appropriate that junior soldiers of the Army Foundation College now have such an outstanding honorary colonel who served with the 8th Battalion, the Duke of Wellington's regiment, during the Second World War. The Army Foundation College prepares 16- and 17-year-old junior soldiers for a career in the Army, teaching them the same values and standards that have proved the bedrock of Captain Tom's life and his amazing charity endeavor. As honorary colonel, he will be invited to speak to junior uh, soldiers at Harrogate, uh, ensuring his incredible example is passed on to the next generation of soldiers. Well, Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hall, the commanding officer of the Army Foundation College, said, Colonel Tom Moore is uniquely, uh, has uniquely captured the imagination of the nation during this difficult time. Our staff and junior soldiers stand in awe at his achievements and we see his values of uh, his sacrifice to one's country reflected in the college's ethos. Colonel Tom's benevolence, his steadiness on parade, and his determination to give something back are all truly inspirational. To have such a role model for the Army Foundation College and to count him as one of our own is a privilege and an honor. Junior soldier Ash Greenwood, uh, age 16, currently attends the Army Foundation College and will go on to join the 2nd Battalion Yorkshire Regiment. He said, Captain Tom Moore states that the NHS are today's front line, and he knows what it's like to be on the front line, having served in India and Burma during the Second World War. He has fought in battles such as the Battle of Ramry Island. Captain Tom has not only inspired me, but an entire nation to reach their personal goals no matter how big or small. It is an honor to have you as our honorary colonel, and the college is extremely proud of you and your achievements, both within your military career and your fundraising for the NHS. Having you affiliated with the Army Foundation College is brilliant. In the Army, you never walk alone. The Yorkshire Regiment also presented Captain Tom with their prestigious annual regimental medal, was given which is given to the individual in the Yorkshire Regiment family who is considered to have made the greatest contribution in the last year. Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Miller, commanding officer, 1st Battalion, Yorkshire Regiment, says, As the Yorkshire Regiment, we are extremely proud of Captain Tom and his achievements. He has captured the hearts and imagination of the nation, inspiring many in these testing times. From a serving soldier's perspective, 
He is all we aspire to be. He epitomizes courage, determination, humbleness, and good old Yorkshire grit. He is one of many who have made such a positive difference, and we are proud that he is part of our regimental family. On behalf of the Colonel of the Regiment, it has been an honor to be able to present the Regimental Medal for the Yorkshire Regiment to Captain Moore on his 100th birthday. The medal is awarded annually to someone to someone who has made an outstanding contribution to our military effectiveness and military reputation. I could not think of a more worthy recipient. He personifies the values and standards of the British Army and is an inspiration to our serving soldiers, young and old. As we said earlier, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight conducted a flypast of a Spitfire and a hurricane which was broadcast live on the BBC, as well as a flypast by the Army Air Corps of a Wildcat and an Apache attack helicopter that also allowed his former service to show their appreciation. Secretary of State for Defense Ben Wallace said, Captain Tom is simply inspirational, and I am absolutely delighted the Army has honored him in such a fitting manner. He not only embodies the spirit of our incredible veteran community, but the resolve of this nation. During these unprecedented times, he has reminded us all that hardship is easier endured when we place the needs of others above our own and approach everything with a smile. Like millions of others, I put my hand in my pocket for his incredible fundraising feat that will do so much good for the NHS working on the front line of this battle right now. Ahead of the VE Day 75th, uh, it is fitting that we are once again looking to the Second World War generation to show us the way. So now, as Honorary Colonel of the Army Foundation College, he will help guide and inspire the next generation of soldiers. I join everyone in the defense community, serving and veteran, in wishing Captain Tom a very happy birthday. There's one thing that I would say about I'm one of the few people here who have seen a, a hurricane and fires flying past in anger. Fortunately, today, they're all flying peacefully. That's, that's one of the outstanding things. But I remember when they were flying not with peace, but with anger. I mean, I mean, where do we start with this this incredible man, really? I mean, it's uh, to do so, you know, I mean, it all started as a very simple idea where he was going to do 100 laps of his garden to raise £1,000. That was his initial target, was £1,000. And I know that the uh, Just Giving page closed uh, last night, having raised over £33 million pounds for the nhs i mean it's just ridiculous isn't it just uh, shows what happens when the country gets behind an individual doesn't absolutely it? i mean I, I i know that i mean there have some, been some people who have said sort of negative things in the fact that the nhs is a government funded uh, organization and therefore why is somebody raising money for them blah 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 but you, you can't help but for, you know i mean obviously the spirit be, behind this story is really why we've all fallen in love with him isn't it well, I don't see a problem with uh, us uh, donating money. If you've got money, uh, you know, to uh, give to a good cause, the NHS is just a, as good a cause as any. After all, I mean, people uh, purchase uh, lottery tickets uh, that fund help fund the NHS. Um, mm. You know, we all pay our taxes, but if you've got a bit of spare money, there's nothing wrong with it with giving it to the NHS. It's it's there for all of us. 
Liz in the chat room, as always, uh, as you know, insightful. She says, Tony, I think times uh, like uh, these bring out the best and worst in people. Captain Ton is clearly the best of the best, which I think is a is a, a, a lovely thing. And of course, I, um, um, I was sort of trying to find pictures and stuff. It was all sort of thrown together a bit at the last minute. But of course, um, you know, there's a hundred and twenty odd thousand birthday cards that were sent to him that were all put up in a local hall, I think. And it's just, uh, I mean, it, 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 I, I don't know. It just, it just makes you. We're very good at this sort of thing, aren't we, us Brits? I have to say. Yeah, oh, the soppy ones are. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Well, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much so. I tell you what, I have noticed uh, in the years that I've been travelling to the US, and and you never see it in the UK. Uh, if there's somebody travelling through uh, somewhere in America, and they're from the Army, Navy, or or Air Force, US. Uh, types um, the, the the people that are checking them onto the flights they always say thank you for your service and that's that's a yeah. very nice thing for them to do and you never hear that here or I, I've never heard it no. here when I see no. uh, people from the RAF or the Navy or, or uh, um, Army going through an yeah. airport yeah, uh, it's something very nice to hear in the US. I have to say, John's very kindly found me the, uh, a picture of the hundred and twenty thousand plus birthday cards that were all laid oh, out. Oh yeah, in that. I mean, that's quite an amazing feat. I, a part mm. of me is quite sad, of course, that he'll never get the opportunity to go and sort of visit them necessarily, because obviously we're all in this, you know, this understandably but still very frustrating uh, sort of lockdown scenario. You know, where where. Uh, you know, under normal circumstances, we could all be congratulating him, really. I mean, I, I guess maybe that's why this story has really encapsulated what's uh, sort of, you know, the, the, the good British nature that is still vaguely out there. Uh, but uh, yeah, the main reason, as I say, here in the UK, obviously, we're very familiar with this story, but I, I wanted to take the opportunity to sort of uh, perhaps share it with a, a wider audience because, uh, you know, the, the guy is literally 100 years old as of yesterday. And I, I don't yeah. know, I just think it's an amazing achievement. He's got a, a number one record now, thanks to a bit of help from Michael Ball. I mean, it's just it's just a lovely story, isn't it? Mm, absolutely yep no doubt about it we need a few better stories than this because personally i'm getting a bit fed up with the press yes and their continual sniping their their annoying attitude of trying oh. to pick holes at everything that don't, we've achieved don't get me started on, on the brief the, the briefings and stuff we've actually literally uh, in our house <laughs> uh we literally what well, uh, don't get me me and nev have had text message conversations about the nightmare that is their lip sync issues i don't know how anybody could get their links lip lip sync issues well you don't seem to be so doing that, very well stop it, it. Yes, <laughs> yes unfortunately this is now empty that's clearly where i went wrong uh but uh, th th this is the thing isn't it it's just like i've literally when the journalists start talking now we literally turn over to something else we listen to the the you know the government briefing and then we watch something else cause, i think aside yeah. from all the the, the the comedy technical moments that yes. i can't help pointing out <laughs> yes, quite. as you may have noticed here is an opportunity for excellence in journalism uh, throughout this crisis and i've seen so little of it to be honest with you it's been absolutely horrific yeah. i think it's been uh, on all channels across all media yeah. formats i think it's come up well short to be honest with you yeah, it has. yeah i have to agree but yeah. there you go that's not really an aviation subject but it's worth no, it mentioning is. i think no, it i felt it having a bit of a rant so this is what this platform's for actually if we're gonna have a little bit of a rant nick i'd like to take the opportunity to actually say uh we're thanking tom moore for his service but i, I mean for you and anyone that's ever worked you know that's ever operated in the armed forces i mean you know i, I, I doth my cap to you all for for your service in general really it's been uh you know it's a, a privilege to to call you one of my friends nick so thank you 
Well, that's ever so kind of you. Thank you. I've, well, been, I've been on the gin. That's all it is. Don't worry. I'll go well, back to normal tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mother's ruin. Uh, yeah. Quite yes, absolutely. Uh, right. Uh, well, I, I, if if nobody has any objections, then I think we should bash on very quickly uh, with the military. If everybody, hey. if very everybody's nice. ready, let's go. Well, this is a a funny story and a sad story at the same time um, on the uh, softrep.com website. It says that the uh, a Russian-made Su-25 belonging to the Chad Air Force accidentally fired a missile that veered into a senior Chadian commander's home, killing five people, including three children. The video footage cap- captures the firing of the missile at the airbase as the aircraft was preparing to take off. The missile clips an empty fuel tanker, which made it veer away from a parked French C-130 aircraft before disappearing from view. It then slammed into the home uh, of the deputy commander of the Presidential Guard. According to local reports, four people, two adults and two children, were initially reported dead. A young girl, critically injured in the blast, died later in hospital. Uh, The deputy commander is not thought to be amongst those killed. Around uh, 12 noon local time, a shell accidentally fired from a military plane, which is about to take off uh, from one of the military bases, uh, the the chief of staff said. Uh, The shell fired, unfortunately, hit the uh, city where military families live uh, in one of the local districts, not far from the military airport. The residence uh, of the deputy commander of the presidential guard was affected, causing the deaths of at least four people, including two children and two adults, and causing injury. An investigation is underway to uh, determine the circumstances of this incident. Uh, the public prosecutor said. Uh, the Chad Air Force has Russian-made Su-25s and MiG-29s, uh, combat jets in the fleet since purchasing them from Ukraine in 2014. The Su-25 ground attack aircraft uh, was used last month uh, to strike Boko Haram uh, militants near Lake Chad. Um, the fighting in Chad, especially around uh, the Lake Chad area against Boko Haram jihadists, has uh, gone increasingly bloody in recent months. An attack by Boko Haram militants on an isolated army outpost at Boma recently killed 100 soldiers. It was the bloodiest day for the Chadian, uh, Chadian army. Uh, and uh, just as a footnote, the uh, Su-25 Frogfoot has been in operation for over 30 years and is considered to be a formidable ground attack aircraft. It is the Russian equivalent of the American A-10. The Su-25 armament has typically consisted of unguided 250 or 500 kilogram bombs, cluster bombs and rockets. The rockets are attached to pods containing dozens of 57mm or 18mm rockets. Uh, The Su-25 also has a GSH-30 30mm cannon and the nose with 260 rounds of ammunition. It has seen wide use in conflicts around the world. Um, obviously a terribly sad, terribly sad story uh, here, but uh, Nick, how is it possible 
for this sort of thing to happen? Are, are there no sort of interlocks that, that prevent this kind of thing from happening on, on the ground? Well, uh, interlocks, it's an intri- yeah, if you want to deliberately fire a missile, there are plenty of interlocks. There'll be a weight on wheels uh, switch that will prevent the, um, the firing circuitry from going live when you're on the ground. Uh, there'll be a master arm switch in the cockpit. There is often a... Uh, the trigger folds away or whatever bombing release might have a cover on it. Um, there are plenty of interlocks, um, but there, there's nothing to prevent a, a loose uh, bit of electrics getting into the, the weapon circuitry by accident. And, uh, well, we, I, I did a plane tale the other day about a, uh, an F-100, American USAF F-100 with sidewinders on board that... Uh, was doing an exercise behind uh, a B-52 and uh, some moisture got into the firing circuitry. There was a short circuit and the missile uh, uh, was fired because of this and it shot down the B-52 and killed all but uh, I think three survived. Um, So these things do happen. I was at RAF Lucas when a sidewinder cooked off um, and went hurtling across. It was a live sidewinder being loaded for a QRA uh, aircraft. Went hurtling across the airfield uh, and buried itself in the sand at the edge of the uh, river, just uh, at the uh, edge of the airfield. Um, so, yes, the, these things do happen. And the, the point is that you don't want incredibly sophisticated uh, electrics uh, when you're... Um, trying to fire a weapon. You want a relatively simple, safe, but simple. It's a bit like having a shotgun. It's a relatively simple piece of kit. There's only one thing that stops you uh, firing it, or two things. You've got a little safety switch that you can use to uh, safe up and prevents you pulling the trigger, and then there's the trigger itself. Um, So, uh, yeah, if you put too much in the way of firing something, then it becomes a problem because when you actually want the damn thing to go off, you'll find there's a fault in the system and it won't go. So you've got to have a compromise. Uh, and uh, most of these weapons are fired with a simple uh, DC uh, electrical impulse to the firing circuit and away it goes. Um, and if there is a short circuit in that, that'll often cook off a weapon. I mean, the Americans did it on board USS Forrestal and there were a whole bunch of aircraft lined up and armed, ready to go and do a big raid in, uh, in Vietnam. And a missile fired uh, and went streaking across the deck, hit another aircraft. Uh, that exploded. All the fuel spread and caught fire. Mm. And before you knew what was happening, there were aircraft blowing up. There were bombs blowing up. Um, there, uh, It was an absolute carnage. And, and dreadfully, a lot of the sailors below decks, because they have wooden decks on those carriers, uh, were killed when all the fuel burnt through oh, the wow. decks and came burning fuel streaming down to the lower parts of the aircraft carrier. So these accidents do happen. Now, the important thing, which uh, the Chadian Air Force had uh, neglected to do, was when you arm up aircraft, you put them on a safe heading. And a safe heading is you basically look around your airfield and go, if one of my weapons goes off, uh, is it going to be safe in that direction? And if it is, that's where you point your aircraft. Uh, so that exactly for this sort of thing. So armed aircraft should always go on safe heading so that 
when this, if this happens, uh, there's no major damage. Um, now, it, the fact that it was pointing at a C-130, a French C-130 Hercules, I think, well, that was on a very safe heading. And then, of course, it hit a fuel tanker, and I'm going, well, damn, they're lucky they got away with that because yeah. uh, if you think about it, uh, fuel uh, blows up very nicely when it's, it's gaseous. So it, a partly empty fuel tanker uh, is actually pretty, it's like a bomb. <laughs> very uh, explosive, it, yeah. Very explosive. So, um, if if uh, the impact or the um, the jet that obviously uh, this is a, a rocket, so it, the jet's burning, didn't ignite that fuel tank, you've really got away with it. Except, of course, for the fact that uh, it was diverted from its uh, original uh, aiming, its, its direction it head off at, and headed off for this senior officer's house. Uh, which was just, you know, a dreadful shame. I mean, it could have been worse if it had gone off without hitting that tanker. It might have done all sorts of damage, uh, other other damage, and killed other people. But, I mean, these incidences are ridiculously rare, aren't they? I mean, this, you, we, yeah, we, they're, they're, it's they're not, not at all common. Uh, no. Yeah, I, 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 you very rarely hear of them. So yes, it's all pretty safe for, for military. Safe as you know, as safe as you can make it for an aircraft that's going to so go is, to war. So is it a system that's failed is the reason why it's gone off the ground or just I human error? I would suspect, error? yeah, I would suspect it's it's not not human error, really. It's just uh, a firing circuit that's got a fault in it. I mean, uh, what wires chafe, um, you know, in an aircraft. If, uh, around, and, yeah, and, and then eventually you might get a short circuit and... Uh, you know, despite your best efforts, uh, something goes where it shouldn't do. And usually it's a simple 12 volt or a simple 24 volt pulse, firing pulse that sets these things off. Right. Um, Simple as that, yeah. Just a short circuit and off it goes. Yeah, it is exactly right. And uh, it is an interesting airplane, this, you're quite right. Um, It's the name, by the way, Frogfoot, it's not its official name, that's the NATO reporting name. So NATO gives all of these uh, foreign aircraft a a designation so that they're uh, easy to remember and identify rather than trying to remember the Russian name for it, which would be very hard for the average Western pilot. Uh, and while you've been talking, actually, John has put in the, the show notes here, the 1967 USS Forrestal fire that you were referring to, actually, uh, on the 29th of July, 1967, a fire broke out on board the aircraft carrier, the USS Forrestal, after an electrical anomaly uh, causes any rocket on the F-4B Phantom to fire, as you say. I'll make sure I include that in the show notes, actually, for anybody who uh, I've to done it. a plain tale Oh, you've done that. a plain tale. Well, in that yeah. case, I will include a link to your plain tale for it. There well, we that would be that. very kind of you. Yeah, the plain tale is called burning the forestal lovely leave it uh, with leave it with me i'll get that sorted but uh, anyway also uh, yeah yeah we'll, we'll sorry uh, do carry on yeah we'll we'll move on to the next story if we may thanks for that nick it's one of the advantages about having somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to no military is uh, we they could talk with substance and forethought uh, but uh, the next and one actually, we can ramble quite, ramble for uh, queen and country nothing wrong with that the entire podcast that we're listening to is completely <laughs> based on that uh you're with the next story actually nick if that's okay uh, and uh, we're talking about air force uh, the air force extending their studies yeah, this is this is uh, another remarkable aspect of the U.S. military. In fact, it's happening more and more in other countries. Uh, the civilianization of aspects of the military, and 
I find it quite remarkable now that the United States Air Force, uh, or the United States, uh, are now employing private contractors to give them air to air or fly their air to air refueling aircraft. Um, so they're looking at a, a study uh, on the feasibility of private aerial refueling, and they've extended it. Uh, so it's it basically requires privately owned uh, aircraft tankers um, to be available to the military to, for their fighters and, of course, their, their big transports and uh, um, other uh, big aircraft are also capable of air-to-air -air refueling, so it's not just uh, uh, fighters. But uh, last week, the Air Force delivered a commercial air refueling report to the House Armed Services Committee in which Air Force Secretary Barbara Barrett reviewed and then asked for 60 more days to further study the issue, uh, Mobility Command said in a statement. Uh, AMC is actively exploring a commercial contract air to air refueling option to complement their current tanker fleet for use in low-threat, non-combat environments such as testing and limited training. So not expecting these guys to go to war, uh, but having said that, they're an asset. And I'll come on to my problem with civilianizing these in a minute. <laughs> so after reviewing the initial report, the Secretary of the Air Force directed mobility command to further study the potential use of commercial aerial refueling services to meet the requirements before moving forward uh, to initiating any contractual arrangements with service providers. Um, they, there's a little bit of detail here. There's about uh, 25,000 non-supported flying hours in test and training that could be met by private companies. Potential contracts would cover about 5,000 hours annually, totaling about 11 uh, 100 sorties. Companies would need to have one aircraft capable of both boom and hose and drogue refueling with an average flying pace of about three sorties per day. So um, now this is the problem I have with it and it sort of comes down to the civilianization of ancillary aspects. So whether it's your air-to-air -air refueling even if it's the, the facilities you would use in training, uh, non-combat, uh, or it's your cooks uh, in, your, in the mess who are going to feed your troops, uh, or whatever it is. Um, when push comes to shove and you're at war, uh, these assets are no longer available to you. You can't <laughs> ask a civilian cook mm. to put his um, green... Uh, combat fatigue, so I'll pick up a rifle and go and defend the airfield. In the old days, you could, because they were all servicemen and all ba given basic training. And that's what will happen with these tankers. You'll have a tanker force that you can go to war with, but there's all these other tankers going to be sitting around that you can't use. Mm. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Now, I suspect there's only one thing driving this, and that's money. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's cheaper yeah. to do this. Uh, but I don't think it's a great idea, but that's very much a personal opinion. Uh, I, I guess the, the jury is out on that, shall we say. Uh, for those who are interested, by the way, we mentioned uh, uh, that Nick had done a plane tale on it before. If you want to, to give that a listen, it's airlinepilotguy.com forward slash burning dash the dash forestal, uh, F-O-R-R-E-S-T-A-L. But uh, obviously, if you search it in Google, I'm sure you'll find it as well. Uh, it's um, The next story is with me, and we're, we're, we're going to the world of museums here, and a great version 
virtual uh, museum tour here. Well, obviously, we were talking at the top of the show about the Shuttleworth doing a virtual air show. Uh, this is the National Museum of the U.S. Air Force, and they're expanding their virtual experience. So uh, I'll, I'll read some of the details uh, about it. So um, being temporarily closed as a public health precaution in relation to COVID-19 uh, has not stopped the National Museum of the United States Air Force from sharing the Air Force's story with online visitors from around the world. In addition to continuing its heritage stewardship duties, the museum is also expanded its digital museum experience through the virtual tour. The virtual tour allows visitors to take a 360-degree self-guided tour of the entire museum by navigating from gallery to gallery, either by using a drop-down map or by following the navigational arrow arrow, sorry, connecting the individual nodes, icons indicate hotspots. I want to follow an area. You do, yes, absolutely. Yes, That's please. a biscuit, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the visitor can get additional information such as videos, audio and links to online resources. Now visitors who are taking the virtual tour can also access online educational activities such as lesson plans, word searches, colouring sheets and other items that can be done at home along with new videos including first-hand accounts from veterans who serve on missions from several eras. The virtual tour also has virtual reality capabilities including Google headsets and social applications such as the snapshot tool uh, camera icon which enables allows you to screen grab the location you're at and post it to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and other social media sites. So what I thought might be a, a bit of fun here so let me see if I can just uh, bring this up. So this is the virtual tour uh, that they're talking about here. So I don't know where should we go? So we've got uh, the Memorial Park or we've got the the early years, or we've also got the air oh, park. Head to Vietnam. Uh, right, okay. Vietnam era, or the. I don't, Where would I go? Vietnam Asia. I forget exactly what they call it. Oh, I don't know. Where where, where would I... The, those are the options that I have in front of me. <laughs> we're going to go to the air park just because I don't, I don't okay. know. Okay. Really. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll head over towards the early years. And there we are. Uh, it's a great tour, really, isn't it? So it's uh, uh, a drawing inside... Oh, I can the... see Captain Jeff. Right. There he is. Look, they've, they've got him in the picture at the top there. You find the that there, glass yeah. window at the top. Yeah, right. the top. Isn't that amazing? It's a great idea, isn't it, though? I mean, I, I suppose there's more and more muse uh, museums are doing stuff like this. As I say, Shuttleworth uh, Collection are doing a virtual uh, uh, airlines and that. I'm just trying to sort of find uh, or air shows. Well, I love it because not only does it give you a chance to relive a visit you did, if you're thinking of going there, you can have a look round effectively and go plan your visit. You can see what's there. Uh, yeah, and, and there are some fantastic exhibits there. Having gone around there with uh, Jeff and a bunch of uh, the APG listeners uh, just on our way up to Oshkosh basically it was an absolute treat that museum is fabulous well as you say it's a great it's a great resource if you like to help you sort of plan um, you know so you can have a quick look round if you like before you go so you know what you're looking for uh, which I think is a you know I, I really like I, I think this is this is potentially the future do you know what I mean this is uh, oh uh, yeah you know Absolutely. so you can, you can plan what you want to do when you get there I mean what, what do you reckon Nev what, what are your, your thoughts on stuff like this yeah I, I think there's <clears throat> a lot of creativity required in these situations especially when 
that the museums are losing so much revenue, not, not just, you know, the entrance fee uh, in some cases, but obviously, you know, the, the catering and, and all the other things that they, they do. And the fact they, they rent these facilities out to the businesses in the evenings for, for events and that kind of stuff as well. So, uh, you know, museums and visitor centers are going through a particularly hard time at the moment uh, with what's happening. And so the ability to do these things virtually online, uh, I think is fantastic to get a bit of a preview of what you might see when you go there for real, for example. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think it's going to stop people actually going there because no. nothing can replace being there and looking at the real thing. Uh, but it's a, it's a great facility. I love it. Uh, the, the last story in the military is with you, if that's okay. Okay, yeah. So the uh, the United States uh, needed a new Air Force One. So they looked around for a second-hand old jet, and they found a couple, uh, which they bought. Uh, cheap, you know, real cheap, because they, they weren't wanted. And they decided to turn them into the new Air Force One. So this the program to build two new Air Force Ones. Well, they were had actually already been built. They're just being modified. Um, they're the presidential transport planes. And, of course, they're only actually called Air Force One when I think when the uh, president is on board. Otherwise, they have a different name, which some American uh, Freds in the chat room here will tell me. Um, they began uh, work on the aircraft just two months ago, and they're converting two commercial airliners uh, for use for the president and his entourage and these aircraft should hopefully be around until the 2050s uh, Boeing at the moment are having to pay 168 million dollars on top of all their other woes uh, due to what's called engineering inefficiencies caused by COVID-19 I think it's a little unfair to charge them because they can't um, do all the work they need to because I guess that they've got problems uh, with, uh, you know, uh, keeping people safe uh, during the epidemic. Um, they've been particularly hard hit anyway by the pandemic with 212 employees testing positive and one poor employee dying. So they took the unusual step of halting production, hence they've now got this, uh, this penalty. I suspect. So um, the aircraft were, well, they are 747-8s, dash dash eight eyes, I think. Uh, and they were um, originally built uh, for the Russian airline uh, Transero, but uh, they went bankrupt. So these aircraft were sitting around doing nothing, and uh, they thought, well, the old uh, 747 is getting a bit long in the tooth. Uh, these will be a, an ideal replacement. Uh, so the aircraft ended up, uh, first of all, in mothballs in the Mojave Desert, and then uh, they were dragged out of there in Boeing, uh, looking to fancy them all up for the president. And they will become the VC-25Bs, the VC-25A being the older version that entered service back in uh, 1990. Um, they started the conversion in February, um, and uh, these two enormous aircraft, of course, are going to be uh, more or less taken apart and put back together again. They're going to do all sorts of pretty uh, impressive modifications to them. Uh, they're going to remove all the commercial interior, the engines, the APUs, numerous secondary systems, and replace them with better stuff. Um, they're going to... Um, have a built-in air stairs, so I think they're going to be at the back so that the president will come out of the airplane's bottom uh, down an air stair. Um, 
And uh, really that's because they'll need to operate in places where they may not have uh, stairs to fit this aircraft. So, so there's no delay. They have their own stairs that they can lower and uh, make a grand entrance. So, um, I mean, for, forgive my naivety here again. It's like, I mean, we, you know, we, we know the 747 is, is an old aircraft. Sadly, many of them are now leaving service because, you know, either it's not, no longer economical to continue using them or they're reaching the end of their... Why is the 747 the airline, the airliner that's been chosen, if you like, in order well, to become the Well, the Dash 8 is not an old airplane. Right. It's a complete rebuild and redesign of the 747, and it was really put on put out there as a direct competitor to uh, the A380. Mm. Um, Boeing wanted to, you know, they, they initially, like Airbus, believed that these massive aircraft were going to carry on for, you know, decades. Mm. Um, it turned out that there wasn't a lot of uh, airlines interested in it, except for the freighters. There, there were a lot of freighters have been built and they're very very successful it's got a completely new wing uh it's been redesigned it really is a very up-to-date version mm. of uh, the 747 albeit it looks fairly similar uh and if you really want to get the lowdown you'd only have to uh, uh tweet uh to good old miami rick and because uh, he's he's qualified and flown these uh, he he loves it great airplane he says mm. uh, and it, in order to make it suitable for uh, an Air Force One, for the president to fly around in, it has to be pretty sophisticated. So they're militarizing it as right. well, and that's pretty damn expensive. It has to have um, radar warning receivers. It has to have missile launch uh, IR receivers. It has to have protections against those missiles. So it's going to have radar jammers. It's going to have uh, infrared uh, jammers uh, as well, mm. uh, plus some other secret stuff that we will probably no, never, never know, know about. about. Yes, uh, so, exactly right. so so Micah is sort of basically more or less sort of reiterating a bit what you're saying here. He's saying that they were actually brand new aircraft that were never flown, and the airline purchased them, but then went out of business. So Boeing had to sort of basically had them on hand. Um, yeah, they found it a second hand lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Quite. Joe's second hand aeroplane lot. Uh, yeah. As you do, yeah, yeah. In some as some desert somewhere, yes. The Secret Service apparently yeah. require four engines. Um and um it's That's because uh, the Secret Service are very muscly guys, so they need four <laughs> engines to the move them around. To, uh, and the aircraft needs to be able to remain in the sky indefinitely if necessary, hence the, there's been a great well, conversation in the chat room about air to air refueling and all yeah. that. I yeah. gathered it wasn't going to be capable of air-to-air refueling. Mm -hmm. Now, has that changed? Because I haven't been keeping on top of it, and I read this story quite carefully. There's no mention of an no. air-to-air refueling modification, and I don't think that would be a great idea. If I wanted to keep my president nice and safe, I would want him to be able to fly around in that thing more yes. or less indefinitely. Indefinitely, until, yeah. and, until such time. Because as, yeah. he, he, is, he would be at his most vulnerable when he has to land the damn thing. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes, not him personally, thank goodness. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, you never know. He's probably make a great pilot. Um, uh, the knows? aircraft, of course, are also shielded, so they've got to make sure it can withstand an EMP from a yeah. nuclear uh, airburst missile. So one of the ways of destroying uh, modern technology will be to let off uh, an exoatmospheric nuclear weapon, and the electromagnetic pulse will fry uh, 
all sensitive electronics uh, that are within hundreds of miles of it. So the aircraft has to be able to withstand that as well, and that's a pretty expensive. So forgive my naivety here, but in the show notes there, I wonder if you could perhaps just glance your eye over it, uh, uh, Nick. First of all, John sort of said about Estes like Ryanair aircraft, obviously, so we can try, you know, to let the president out that way. But it, there's also a little table there. I, I was sort of struggling to just sort of get my head around what that. What the, oh, I see. Uh, right. Yeah. These are the firm orders of the seven four seven dash eight. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, mainly cargo, cargo Lux fourteen, mm. um, cargo with uh, Nippon Airlines eight. Uh, let's see, Atlas, uh, which is an outfit that uh, uh, we all know about through uh, uh, our co-hosts on the APG. Yep. They've got ten of them. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, Cathay Pacific of fourteen, uh, Korean seventeen. So there's a hundred and thirty-seven. Uh, are flying, so it's not a bad uh, selling aircraft, no. quite honestly. And no. I think the decision to turn it into a freighter uh, was a great idea. I don't know if it was originally designed that, I don't think so, but I certainly think uh, it's uh, a brilliant one. And not all of these may be freighters, some of them may be in the passenger fit. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm not one of them. Oh, here we go. Yeah. There's some yeah. red stuff appeared. Yeah, uh, so passengers were 47, apparently, and 107 were freighters, I'm, I'm guessing, from that in oh, the total order. Oh, the so. uh, 747-8F would be the freighter. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. 8I for passenger. So F for freighter, I for passenger. Very good. How does very that good. work? Yeah, who knows? Who Should knows? It be P? But very popular as a freighter. That that's essentially what we can we can we can uh, glean from that data. So as I say, in orders uh, right up until sort of 2016, 2014, 20, uh, 2016, uh, quite quite a few freighters again. Twenty eight uh, versions of it ordered in in, in twenty sixteen, uh, and then uh, you know sort of uh, the the last passenger variants obviously being Air Force One, the Boeing VC twenty five B Air Force One, um, two of ordered at the end of. Of, uh, August uh, 2017, but uh, there we yeah, go. Yeah, now since the A380 has been taken out of service from so many passenger airlines, I'm curious to know whether the uh, passenger variants of these will be around for much longer. Uh, Lufty have got 19 of them, for example. Mm. Um, that's quite a lot of passenger variants. Well, apparently, apparently, I stands for intercontinental, uh, and that's what it stands for. So, oh, really? Yeah. I know. That's Honestly. pretty useless. Yes. Who thought of, who thought of that? <laughs> That's dreadful. Well, that is where we bring the military uh, to a close for this Ray. week. <laughs> Stop it. Uh, we're going to back our way through. We've got a little bit of uh, uh, listener feedback that we just want to whiz our way through, if that's okay, Nev. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, so, uh, first of all, uh, from uh, Masoos Karim, he says, uh, Hi, guys. Just thought I'd touch base. I know these are difficult times for you all, particularly given the whole furlough situation. I wanted to offer my uh, admiration, appreciation and thanks for keeping the podcast going and staying so cheerful and upbeat. I'm sure you're offering great support to many people during this surreal period. Keep well and safe. Best wishes, Masus. So that's very kind of you, Masus. Thanks very much indeed. And we are certainly doing our best. We're trying to find yes. interesting and new stories, even though we're not allowed out at the moment. No, it's so, uh, it, it, challenging. There's, there's no shortage of aviation news. No. Have to yes, it, it's <laughs> challenging finding upbeat and smiley stories. Certainly, yeah. that that yeah. that is that that is definitely the thing. Uh, I just wanted to touch very quickly 
I know we mentioned at the top of the show, obviously, uh, about the Shuttleworth season uh, premiere, so the online air show on uh, Sunday the 3rd of May. This was very act- This was very kindly sent to us by Claire Aitken. That's how this whole thing started. She uh, filled in the form on our website and uh, sent us an e- email uh, saying that, hi, guys, there's a show that's still going ahead online, the Vintage Aviation Collection at Shuttleworth, Shuttleworth would normally be starting their air show season on Sunday the 3rd of May, but instead we've decided to go virtual. So, as they say in their promotional video, which we played out at the top of the show, uh, the, the, unlike most uh, who have to queue for refreshments, the Shuttleworth team have compiled an archive footage of amazing, uh, an amazing range of home and visiting aircraft, and the show will be available online for just £2.50, £5, £7.50, or £10. You choose the price you're happy to pay. Once purchased, the air show will be available for 30 days. The link will be available from the web page, um, which, as I say, which was www.shuttleworth.org uh, forward slash events um, is where you'll find that. And the running time is roughly two hours and 11 minutes plus bonus material. As a volunteer at Shuttleworth, I know that air show and visitor revenue is vital to the collection survival. I hope that some of your listeners can support this online show and uh, enjoy virtually some of the unique atmosphere that a show at Shuttleworth provides. I also love your show and wish you all the very best. Well, thank you, Claire. That's very kind of you. Hmm. I'm wondering, uh, anything I've missed as well is uh, air shows is uh, burgers, hot dogs, and ice cream. I'll tell you one thing I don't miss is the clue for the smelly toilets. I'm not, I'm, that I'm, is I'm, true. <laughs> I'm not going to miss that. But uh, uh, one more piece of feedback that uh, I'd like to uh, play out, if that's okay. And uh, this has been sent by uh, a gentleman who's been uh, very kind to write to us regularly. And uh, let's say he's sort of been venturing into the world of audio as well. So uh, Nick Codling uh, has some interesting theories about what they might do with some of those maxes that uh, nobody wants anymore. Hello, PTUK. This is Nick Codling here again. I've come across something which I thought was pretty interesting and I had to share it with you. I was having having a little browse on Instagram yesterday and something popped up which really caught my attention. So given the recent C word, which we won't be mentioning, it has been noticed that 737 MAX has not been cropping up very much in PTUK recently. Uh, in fact, it's I think it's entirely possible that we may even have had one or two episodes which have passed in recent weeks where it hasn't been mentioned at all, which is extraordinary. So uh, I'm here to rectify that. So I came across this thing which was, uh, I'm going to try and describe it to you, obviously this being an audio medium. So in essence, an architect has created a skyscraper built out of stacked fuselages of Boeing 737 MAX bodies. It's quite eye-catching. It's pretty cool, actually. And I thought, wow, that, that's, a, that's actually a pretty smart thing. And I've seen before that there have been people that have purchased an old aircraft. I think there was a guy that might have done something with a... I think it was a Boeing 717 body, possibly, and he, he sort of had it shipped out somewhere in the forest and actually converted it into his home. And I know, I think at Stockholm Airport, I think there's a 747 that they've turned into a hotel. So there's been sort of cases previously where people have used aircraft bodies for um, land-based accommodation, shall we say. But this one, um, essentially, I think the idea is that 
there are all these 737 Maxes sat around not doing anything. Potentially they won't be doing anything for even longer because the aviation industry is in tatters at the moment. So the simple idea was to try and take all these fuselages and do something useful with them. So I, I thought, well, I, I want to find out a bit more about this because, you know, Instagram is kind of all about the visual media and it didn't give an awful lot of information. So I, I actually Googled the architect um, and I came across a website here called Evolo, uh, it's spelled E-V-O-L-O, which I believe is an architecture website and I think they run architecture competition once a year. So I'm just going to quickly read the article for you. At the beginning of the 20th century, flying was one of the greatest achievements of humanity and the world was mesmerised about the possibilities that were about to open up. In the era of ingenuity, aviation was regarded as a romantic endeavour, a promise to tie people together and make the world smaller. A century later, humanity is finally able to assess the magnitude of that feat that was once regarded as a miracle. Airplanes were at the centre stage of great wars, great shifts in geopolitical power and gave rise to an ever-growing international elite of frequent flyers. The world today is a different place and the undeniable success of commercial aviation meant that flying airplanes has become one of the most substantial contributors to climate change. At the same time, we are in the middle of one of the biggest aviation crises for the aircraft manufacturer Boeing. Thousands of their newly designed 737 MAX are unable to fly and are stored at airport facilities across America. Not sure it's thousands. What if they never fly again? What happens when the aviation industry slows down? And what do we do with the significant number of decommissioned planes in storage facilities in the desert such as Victorville? Meanwhile, on the ground, the world has a gigantic housing shortage and many marginalised social groups are unable to find a place to live. Not too far from the aircraft storage facilities, the county of Los Angeles has 60,000 people that have no place to live. A chunk of this population happens to be military veterans who are denied the opportunity to start new lives as civilians due to the high cost of living and inadequate housing supply, as well as a general stigma around post-traumatic stress disorder. How spatially tackle this social problem? Our creative solution is a joint venture for the post-retirement lives of both commercial airplanes and veterans. The 737 MAX Tower is an ingenious stacking of repurposed airplane fuselages that will provide new homes and a new chapter of life for a generation of younger, more well-educated retired veterans. The MAX Tower not only provides comfortable and convenient living experiences for the veterans, but also offers a variety of centrally located on-site amenities that take care of veterans' physical and mental well-being, as well as their social needs. Veterans have easy access to mental and physical health care, such as private counselling, group therapy, fitness centre, on-site, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so that goes on. If airplanes are buildings that fly, our response is to use decommissioned airframes as a ready-made building unit. Airplane fuselages are already structurally sound, waterproof and insulated. Our idea is to leverage the architectural potential of the airplane and give it a second life as a skyscraper. More than just a single iconic tower, our design is intended to be a provocative yet replicable building system that can be applied to many different contexts. And with a global fleet of 26,000 airplanes and an expected growth to 34,000 by the next decade, there will be no lack of building materials by the time these airplanes are retired. 
Finally, in the spirit of early romanticism and promise of flying, we are creating a poetic irony by bringing back to the clouds airplanes that would no longer fly. Hmm, well, there we go. That's a, an interesting concept. I think let's just put aside the, the very obvious ep- economic ramifications, certainly for Boeing, the cost of all those aircraft, you know, simply deciding, oh, we're just going to scrap them all and turn them into a giant skyscraper. Um, yeah, well, that's not going to happen, is it? Let's be honest. I mean, yeah, there's a good chance that uh, by the time this current crisis is over, Boeing are going to have aircraft sat there that they built for airlines, which probably don't exist anymore. And certainly, you know, this is going to be a very costly time for them. There's no denying that. Don't quite see that it's going to be a case of uh, turning them into a giant skyscraper somehow, although it does look pretty cool. Obviously, there is a, a thriving aircraft scrap industry, not just in the United States. There's a, there, there are a couple of sites in the UK, actually, that, that do it. And uh, second-hand aircraft parts are extremely valuable. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a, a thriving industry. So I can't ever see there being a time where it would make economic sense for us to merely repurpose these fuselages into, into buildings. But it's an interesting idea. And, uh, you know, at least I've managed to shoehorn the max into this week's episode. Anyway, that's all from me. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for all you do. All the best. Bye bye. Oh, thanks, Nick. Great, uh, great bit of yeah. feedback. That actually. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this mug. Yeah, I, I know. And that has been a lot of chat. There's been a lot of chat about that in in the chat room <laughs> about his particular mug. It has to be said. I can't show any of them because most of them are completely inappropriate. Uh, I will just say, actually, very quickly, uh, touching on that, but briefly, the, the Sun newspaper actually ran a story this week uh, involving a Boeing seven two seven that had been converted. Uh, let me just show you some of the pictures of that had been converted into basically like a hot tub and and like a bedroom type sort of thing where they reuse the fuselage um, uh, for for other purposes. So I mean, there is precedent, if you like, for uh, for doing things like this. But I, I don't know if they're going to start doing it with Maxes anytime soon, because uh, uh, as I, I think Boeing have invested far too much money into them to to want to have them sat on the ground not doing anything. <laughs> Yeah, I just wonder, well, as Nick said, you know, what is going to happen? It's almost, it's the perfect storm, isn't it, really, for aviation in the, in the bad way? You know, it's, um, it's got a situation now where we've got aircraft not being delivered, uh, factories going on furlough, passengers not flying, you know, yeah. although, as somebody said to me, uh, just yesterday, it's actually decimated uh, the airline business from the manufacturer right down to the passenger and everything in between, isn't it, at the moment? So. Yes, that's true. Uh, yes, uh, if, if you want uh, further details, uh, details uh, about uh, the story that Nick was talking about, will obviously be all on, uh, all all within our show notes. Uh, if you would like to do what Nick has done and get in touch with the show, uh, you can do that in several ways. You can search for us on social media by using the tag Plain Talking UK. That's all as one word. Our WhatsApp number, which is basically where you get to keep Carlos up all uh, any time of the day or night, uh, that is plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six. That's plus four four seven five seven double two four nine one six six to write to us uh, by email. The email address is podcast at plaintalkinguk.com uh, and uh, the website www.plaintalkinguk.com. You can buy websites uh, on there. I'm actually working on a new version uh, for the website, which I teased Nev with earlier this week. Uh, and um, uh, also, uh, don't forget.
yet uh, thank you very much to our wonderful patrons again that we touched on at the top of the show uh, it is uh, patreon.com p-a-t-r uh, E-O-N dot com uh, or if uh, like me you're perhaps uh, struggling a little bit at the moment the easiest you can contribute to the show by just doing your usual shopping using our link on our website for Amazon so if like me where you're buying lots of things on Amazon because it's cheaper on there than going to the shops frankly uh, use our link and what they do is they give us an ad, a small admin referral free that we can use uh, on uh, uh, you know to, to buy leads and, and things like that so uh, uh, yeah, it, as I say, your support is hugely appreciative in this difficult time, and uh, we thank you for being so wonderful. That's along as I say, we've had some great emails this week uh, from listeners. Do please keep it up, as I say. Podcast at plaintalkinguk.com is the email address. Nev, I think it's time to wrap up, don't you? It is, and uh, yes, we've overrun a bit. Uh, uh, just tonight. a tad, yeah. Uh, I don't know quite how that happened. It's been very worthwhile, and thank you very much to Captain Nick, especially yes. for joining us today as usual uh absolutely oh, my, my pleasure overrun this is quite a short show i thought <laughs> <laughs> absolutely it's a, I, we try and keep well I try, I try to keep them under an hour and a half and we're an hour over already so we, we'll gloss over that and move on uh, by but, the way uh matt uh, the risk of prolonging this even more uh, you realize that's a canadian uh, fa team behind you and they bought uh the old australian one so ooh. i don't know that might possibly be my old fa team well, I suspect uh, when Jonathan Warner sent it to me, uh, he did say you need to use this one uh, because uh, you are uh, because it, because you were on the show. So I suspect if I know Jonathan Warner, there will have been an alarming amount of research done in, into that before he sent me the picture. Uh, also, as I just mentioned very quickly, if if you uh, listen to the audio version of this show, please do uh, get it by whichever means you let. But on iTunes, obviously, please do rate uh, the show as well. We'd be very grateful. Anyway, that's where we have to bring the show to a close thanks everyone nick uh thanks very much for joining us uh Neb, you're a legend as always my friend and uh we'll see everybody next week take care yeah. everyone say yeah. goodbye everyone Bye-bye. bye bye bye